Okay. Hey, how's it going, Noah? Oh, it is all good. I am enjoying the beautiful Los Angeles weather. What's really nice is that it has, thanks to anthropogenic climate change, I get to enjoy a week of 80-degree temperature and then years of complete cultural <laughs> and systemic decline. It's yeah, good. I mean, I, think, I feel like that's where we're all at right now. Um, hold on. Is your... Is your are you using headphones or? Uh, I am. They are just apparently not connecting. Hold on. Okay. Cause yeah, I feel like I hear myself, but I don't know if it's because of you or something else. Okay. I don't hear it anymore. Great. <laughs> Wonderful. It, it was super Love to cool. not hear things. <laughs> I hear you though. I just, I just, um, hear myself too. Yeah. You know, I, the, the thing is I have like a podcasting setup for my computer, but it, because Apple decided to completely screw everybody over by taking off a headphone jack. I can't plug it into my phone. So I'm like yeah. operating off of, you know, off of my headphones. So I'm, I apologize. I apologize in advance for the audio quality. No, the, the, audio, the audio quality sounds pretty good. Um, thanks. It's all thanks to my Beats Flex headphones, uh, sponsored by Beats Flex. Uh, let me ask people. Let me ask people in the room. Hey, people in the room, is there an echo? Like you can hit the clap button. Uh, hit, actually, no, other way around. Hit a clap button if both of us sound good. If we both sound clear. Okay, I see. I see at least one clap. So that's that's, that's good. good. Yeah, I'll take yeah, that. So yeah, I'll take it. I'll take it as well. Why so, not? Uh, How are you doing? I'm doing pretty. I'm doing pretty well. Let me just check where um, Q is. And let them know that that we have started. Also, gonna check with um. Okay, so I just let them know. I'm also gonna check with Katie Halper as well. Sounds good. Cause she's she's coming in, but we'll probably have to restate the point in the room when they come in. But I'll just state it again now. And also, people can just start coming up into the queue as early as they want. You don't have to worry about hearing us give a huge spiel first. You can just get in there if you already know you want to weigh in on the topic. But did you see the tweet by Whitney Cummings in response to Joe Rogan's? Um, Boy, do I wish I hadn't. <laughs> Every day I wish I had not seen it. But nope, I certainly did. Oh, boy. Do, do, um, you have it in front, do you have it in front of you by chance? I was going to pull it up myself. Uh, but I think I screenshotted it, but basically the point was that comedians are braver than the Marines. Um, <laughs> hold on. Uh, God, I, I a lot of people were weighing in. I was kind of surprised that many people felt so strongly about it. I thought I was uh, one of the few people who was sick of that notion. But no, apparently a lot of people are kind of sick of this... Uh, uh, comedians are the real troops type of well I mean I when think you think I, about I think it the actual troops are kind of I think the actual troops are kind of overrated but let's not get started on that sorry but go on <laughs> yeah I love to do episode one of Bojack Horseman um, 
hold on. Let me. This is this is got. Ah, wait. I've got it. I've got it. I'm now going to read it. If that's okay with you. Yes. Yes. Please do. Great. <clears throat> I'm going to do it very dramatically. <clears throat> Comedians did not sign up to be your hero. It's our job to be irreverent and dangerous, to question authority and take you through a spooky mental haunted house so you can arrive at your own conclusions. Stay focused on the people we pay taxes to, to be moral leaders. And, uh, this is like a very old reference, but I just remember the, uh, I think it was Charles Barkley in the 90s, like, you know, we're not role models or whatever, when you say about, you know, basketball players and all that. But right. what's funny about her quote is it's very self-contradicting because she's saying, it's, it's self-contradicting on multiple levels. First, she's saying that we're not uh, your role models, but then she proceeds to give the most moralistic interpretation of what comedians do like we're not role right. models we just saved the world it's like okay at least what charles brockley said take you said, through hey, a spooky haunted house <laughs> walk, yes. walk you walk you through a castle of your own dark imagination <laughs> welcome Break to you. my twisted mind <laughs> take you to the other side of the tesseract like what the fuck are you talking about lady uh, I, I it's know. a comedian's job to navigate through the maze from the movie cube Without <laughs> like damn, don't never drop, don't ever drop acid in tweet. It's just bad for PR. Have you ever I seen was... the movie The Maze Runner? Because that's what a comedian's job is. <laughs> I was waiting for some spooky Vincent Price music, you know, like doo, doo, some X Files. Spooky haunted house. That was terrible. But but yeah, uh, Q, what I was saying before you uh, came in, and maybe you were here to hear it, but I was just saying how... Yeah, what the hell? Starting early without me. I thought we yeah. were friends. <laughs> well, I, I want to be on... I want to be on friendship top, friendship with Q ended. Friendship with Noah begun. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, I, I, thought, I thought I was on because... Uh, you two decided what you needed was you needed more white Latino representation. <laughs> um, no, and I agree. We need people that are actually funny, is what it is. Oh, okay. Well, then yeah. I'll leave. I'm, no, 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 no. Get out of here. Like I'm only funny situationally and with great effort. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, I would just like to say, uh, President Biden, my country, Venezuela, yearns for freedom. <laughs> While we wait. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, so Katie, Katie Hopper is going to be showing up in here, but like uh, what I was saying before is uh, I don't know if you caught a key, but I was saying how she's not even consistent because she's saying like, we're not role models or whatever, and she proceeds to give a definition of comedian that sounds like a role model like you know we're basically saving yeah the world. exactly no we're not heroes but we do heroic things is what we're here for it, yeah yeah, yeah. And, and i don't know i don't know if you saw how she got bodied by uh oh my god mark moran mark moran <laughs> he said oh my god. you may want to add you may want to add and be funny to the list yeah yeah exactly like uh whatever happened to that uh, uh something else too um uh, that's stuff contradicting about it is she goes, uh, yeah, you know, we speak to, basically we speak truth to power, but what she's defending is uh, saying the N words. It, it doesn't even make sense. Like, it's not even like she's saying we speak truth to power by punching down. It's not even like some people say a comedian is amazing because they offend everybody. 
And then some other people say comedians are amazing because they speak truth to power. But she's one of the first people I've seen I've seen well, who said both at once. Right. I well, my I was talking to my roommate about this because uh, my roommate uh, was a TV critic and she's currently a a uh, entertain a, a entertainment columnist. But basically, like what she said, and I think what I agree with is like. A lot of people use that they're speaking truth to power to disguise the fact that there's no joke. Like, if it, her her point was basically that like the new Chappelle special is just kind of like how like what an hour of just not they're not being really a joke to it, and just all of the comedy just not being there at all. And what it is is it's a lot easier to do that kind of material and then be like I'm getting canceled. And then make a lot of money off of doing that than it is to like write jokes. And you can write like offensive jokes that are funny. I mean, uh, John Mulaney famously has a joke in which he says, all right, it's about to get a little playfully anti-Semitic in here. And then he does. Um, but, you know, there is like at least an actual joke there and an actual thing that he's joking about as opposed to, you know, just kind of a hour long rant about. Uh, everyone's perceived social ills, which I think is also kind of what the Joe Rogan show is in general. But also, I just am hard-pressed to care about Joe Rogan in a lot of respects. Can we also talk about the futility of that phrase, speak truth to power? Like The, the reason that we it, it's even in our political lexicon in the first place uh, is because of the civil rights movement. So the idea used to be that if you uh, took the truth from the masses to the halls of power, then you would at least you know move Pharaoh's hardened heart that's not how that fucking works, especially like if you come from it, if you come at it from like a uh, progressive or left wing perspective, truth is not supposed to be or uh, no matter not supposed to be like it. The powers already know what truth is. It's the people like the, the broad masses of people that need to know what the truth is. You bring the truth to them. So if you're a comedian speaking to an audience and you say things that make people really uncomfortable, first of all, like what power are you speaking to exactly? Or if you're on a podcast and you're saying things. Like, are you in the White House giving uh, the president uncomfortable truths? Or are you just talking shit on a podcast? Some people get uncomfortable with it because you you perceive them as having more power than you because there are simply numerically more of them than there are of you. You're speaking truth to power. It doesn't fuck. If I were Pharaoh, I would go to I'm a sure. cardiologist for my hardened heart. Yeah, I, I don't even know what uh, if they even think about it as much as you, you've even said to be honest, but I just want to uh, introduce Katie Halper onto here. Actually, I don't think I've formally introduced anybody, so... Uh, no, we just all kind of dropped in here. Yeah, yeah. Let me start with uh, Noah, since you, were, since you were here first. Oh, no, 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 no. Who you are. Feel free to start with Katie, because she just joined. Okay, okay. Hi, uh, <laughs> Hi Katie. How's it going? Um, by all Good means, you? let people know who you are. I'm doing pretty well. Um, good. Yeah. Who I am. I'm the host of the Katie Helper show, which is on YouTube. I'm also the host of the new Colin show, Colin Katie Helper. Um, and my show, the Katie Helper show is on YouTube. It's also a podcast. And I'm also co-host of Useful Idiots with, um, Matt Taibbi, but now with Aaron Mate, because Matt Taibbi's on sabbatical, writing a book. And, uh, you can find all my stuff at patreon.com slash the Katie Helper show. And I recently was talking about Rogan with Leslie Lee on my show. Oh, so um, that's interesting. So, so you are not Rogan now. Are you? Are you okay to talk about more Rogan? 
Yeah, I really, I don't watch a lot of him, honestly. I just watch some of the stuff that people talk about. But I, I, I kind of feel like the discussion about Rogan is more, the more interesting discussion is the discussion about the discussion about Rogan. The discussion yeah. about the discussion about Rogan. Yeah. It, fascinating. Uh, what do you mean yeah. by that? Well, I think that like the way there are a couple of, of different Rogan threads, right? Or things that people are talking about. One is the misinformation label. And then the other one is the cancellation. Um, they're related, obviously, but he's about, he's, he's a source of misinformation and racist commentary. Those are kind of the two things that are, are being said about him now, right? Yeah, like the, the meta commentary on Rogan is that uh, he's a purveyor of uh, vaccine misinformation and COVID misinformation, um, and that he is either himself a racist or a transphobe or is willing to platform yeah. racist and transphobes, et cetera. And I, I think what uh, the way that it occurred to me, and I'm glad you put it that way, because it, it is true. Like it's a, it, it's a meta commentary that does have to be talked about is what does it say about the people that are um, going after Rogan. So like right. I've seen, I've seen some really high profile people like, uh, uh, what was her name? Um, Sherry Jacobus, uh, from the Lincoln, uh, the Lincoln Institute. Uh, and, uh, she was going Lincoln after project? The, like the Lincoln project. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, oh. she was, <laughs> oh my God. She uh, yeah. was like, she was like chasing down the rock and like sticking all her followers on him because he apparently needed to come around on Rogan being a racist. So it was like, it was just the, the most bizarre thing. This, this former like GOP strategist uh, who called Obama a food stamp president is chasing down this black dude and, and demanding that he denounce Rogan as a racist and getting all of her like PMC white women to do the same thing. And then when he responded to her, she's like, Oh, so this is incredibly misogynistic. I'm like, wow. Oh <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So, so, if you are from the Lincoln project, and you are and you are complaining about uh, it, you know when we, and racism? right? I'm like I'm sorry. Do you remember when you all collectively hid like a sexual predator in your midst? Yeah, yeah. Uh, a, a guy last, who, by the way, like, sexually year. harassed me. What? Uh, really? Noah. <laughs> yeah. Really? Um, oh yeah. No. Um, I. You know, I love to love to have that happen. But yeah, that what's was a while ago. What's his name again, David? Uh, no, it's um, uh, fucking okay. what's his? I, I try not to remember uh, him in general. But like, not okay. anything stupid. John. Bad, just he was being yeah, it's like something like that. But he was just being really creepy in my DMs. But anyway, right, uh, that's his MO. Point yeah. being, yeah, that's his whole thing. But anyway, point being, uh, glass houses. Maybe you shouldn't do any of your projectile mineralogy in it. I'm yeah. Just, just gonna go ahead and. Uh, just gonna go ahead and. Uh, and you know, just be like, hey, maybe you should sit this one out. Yeah. Not that I really care about them going after Joe Rogan, but uh, yeah, just. But uh, it is. It does turn into such a distraction. Like this is how we're going to take on racism and homophobia and oh, yeah. misogyny is by discussing the the things said by Joe Rogan, which only like I don't know what people think is going to happen. But well, the thing the that like is. the thing that drives me crazy is people are like, ah, oh, well, we primarily liberals are like, ah, we must defeat Joe Rogan so that we can end the vaccine misinformation. And I'm like, you're looking at a symptom of the problem, which is that the American government basically no longer exists and is incapable of, you know, of giving people accurate information about the vaccines yeah. or convince people to take the vaccine. 
uh, or even legislate to make people take the vaccine. You can't do any of those things. Um, so, like, you know, Joe Rogan is the symptom of a broader breakdown in government capability. And people are like, ah, but if we remove his bad vibes, then <laughs> finally we can solve the problem. Yeah, Joe, Joe Rogan is for a lot of people the final boss, and I think they forget like how many final bosses have either been defeated or removed themselves. So like back in the day, Glenn Beck used to be the no, sorry, Bill O'Reilly used to be the final boss way back in the day. Uh, then it was Glenn Beck, then it was Sean Hannity, uh, and then it was Alex Jones. Like there's any number of people that like the uh, the I don't know, like the the apoplectic liberals like feel have to be defeated in order to I don't know, like restore vibes order so that we can go back to the busy work of, I don't know, not holding government accountable at all, just like letting things coast. And I, I think what they ignore is that not only is, uh, like you say, uh, Noah, Rogan a symptom of a deeper problem, which is the complete breakdown in trust of American governance and, and governance, period. They're also adding to the problem because half of the time when you try to hold government accountable or you make uh, criticisms of where government is falling short, they are the first ones to throw their body in the path of the projectile to defend the exact same government. That now, hold on, Q. Are you listen? The problem here is that the U.S. government is neurodivergent and a minor. <laughs> so, first of all, also hello. I am. I think that the, oh. I'm Noah. Oh, sorry. Uh, I I am. Uh, I am a, uh, a ostensibly a comedy writer, uh, current assistant, and uh, a one of the leaders of DSA LA's Hollywood Labor Project, although I am not here as a representative of Hollywood Labor, and my opinions do not reflect the opinions of Hollywood Labor, I said, as a disclaimer. It's okay. We're only recording you for first. That's right. That's good. Yeah. But I think that, you know, in terms of the double standards about misinformation, and I talked about this on my show and on Bree's show. So sorry if you've heard me say this before. But the same week that the Joe Rogan stuff was happening, um, uh, and he was, what was this, not last week? Yeah, it was last week. Um, I mean, everyone was talking about the misinformation. That same week you had, or a couple of days before, you had Ned Price at the State Department basically lie or make these un unbacked up claims about Russia how they had crisis actors, and he got called out by Matt Lee, this atypically brave journalist at the AP, who was like, what's your evidence for what you're saying? And he was like, uh, my evidence is the intelligence we just released. He's like, you didn't release any intelligence. You just made some allegations. And it went back and forth. And that's the kind of misinformation that we're constantly being fed. Um, I don't agree with some of the stuff that Rogan has said. Uh, I think I don't agree with lots of it. But I also think there is this kind of stupid, facile discussion about misinformation as if we have this standard, we know what we're talking about. This is misinformation. If it looks like this, it's not misinformation looks like that. Yeah. No, you're absolutely correct. And I remember in the same exchange, uh, he called, he basically like, I don't, I don't know if he actually came out right and said it, but he, he basically uh, implied that the reporter was a running dog for Putin. Oh yeah. He's you know, like, he's, well, he's Russian lap dog. Solace, if you want to take solace and, and the, and the talking points of Putin. Yeah, it was it was it was so embarrassing. He had to do like a half-assed apology, pretending that he respected Matt Lee. Yeah. I want to I want to do some quick housekeeping. Everybody who's in here, if you go over to 
the Twitter account for Champagne Sharks, just the single word Champagne Sharks. Uh, if you can just like retweet that top tweet that just says that we are live now, or oh, just yeah. write your own tweet, but just let people know that we are live. Let people know that we're. I'm gonna share it right let's now. Get, yeah, let's get more people up in here. Whether you retweet my tweet or write your own tweet. Also, something else you can do is you can also make highlights of this show. So, you know, if you have parts of the show that you like and you want to actually, Q, you're better at explaining this because I think you actually know how to do it and I never have. I've just been told that you can do it. Oh, what's that? As far as making highlights of the show, like... Um... Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. So if uh, you're listening to the show and you find a moment that uh, is either like funny or uh, memorable, something that you think ought to be highlighted, um, you can actually, after uh, the show is over, you can go ahead and make clips. And once it's clipped, we actually see it uh, so that we can use that to uh, promote the show, especially like if you're up talking and you know you, you thought... Uh, you, your moment was a highlight. You can go ahead and clip it. But yeah, one of the uh, cool things about this app is that you're able to essentially like clip highlights from it and then. Sh- oh my god! I can do drops. Yeah, exactly. It lets me do drops. Yep, yep, yep. I can play a big air horn. <laughs> Jesus Christ! Yes, yeah. you can do. You can do it all. Yeah, for real. And and uh, is that is that it for the house cleaning? Yeah, I think I think that's pretty much it. And um, by all means, feel free to come up at any time. We're gonna take the next caller right now but something i wanted to say real quick before we take the next caller uh just next caller andy you don't have to talk about this this is something i want to throw out there um i want to know when this started as in i remember when they said it about singular voices like oh lenny bruce is speaking truth to power or whatever or um, Sam Kinison doesn't care about offending. Andrew Dice Clay doesn't care about offending. He's so crazy. Or George Carlin is a prophet. But when did it just become something that a whole bunch of comedians thought about themselves, even if they're the inventor of two broke girls and the guy who talks about DMT all day? Like, like now it just seems like anybody who does comedy just has this feeling now that they're just doing anything, even if it's just, I mean, just doing something profound, even if it's just doing offensive slurs or just lowest common denominator um, punching down. And that's something that I just would love to know when when that happened. And the other thing is, uh, John Stewart used to do this thing that I used to really hate, which was, I used to call it clown nose on, clown nose off, where he's like, oh, you know, this is important and we've got to do such and such. But then when someone would call him on, saying something deeper. He's like, hey, I'm just a comedian. Like, what do you want from me? Like, even this Crossfire thing, I, I just hated that because he was being simultaneously sanctimonious, but at the same time, yeah, it's true. Dis- disavowing any responsibility whenever they said, well, what's your solution? And I feel like Cummings did that too, where she was like, we're not role models, but we're also the messiahs, you know? And it's like, I'm okay. just a little birthday boy. I'm just a little birthday boy and I've yeah, got exactly. Yeah, oh, I can't, I can't take that. So yeah, just some topics if you want to talk about those, or if you want to just talk about your own thing, you're not obligated to. And yeah, Andy, by all means, feel free to unmute. Hey, um, can you hear me? Okay, I'm, I'm in my basement tonight, so can you hear me? All right. Yeah, we can hear you fine. Okay, cool. I have, I, I appreciate the time of the show. I have little kids, and they're, it's a good time for them to call in. So, um, this isn't about I got uh, about the thing Trevor just said, but one question I had, I, I Trevor, I, I tweeted this at you, but um, I was kind of curious. Like the first time I ever actually saw 
even knew that like the guy from Fear Factor had a had a show or whatever was uh I was just looking on YouTube for interviews with Freeway Rick Ross and um I think Joe Rogan has interviewed him twice and they're actually like both pretty interesting interviews um and like one thing I've just thought a lot about in this most recent uh like kerfuffle around Rogan I've I've never really watched any other ones um though I watched the one with Bernie and I've tried to watch some other ones but they're just really boring um but uh, is that like, I do think weirdly Rogan every once in a while will have on somebody and talk to them for an extended period of time that the, most of the media would just totally ignore. Like for instance, like Freeway Rick Ross and, um, you know, and he talked to him for like two hours and they were like really interesting interviews. I mean, Unfortunately, like Rogan didn't really seem to know that much about his story, so it was kind of frustrating to listen to. But um, I just was kind of wondering, like, what you think about that, that I feel like a lot of the people that are, like, really attacking Rogan um, are people that, like, would never cross those lines and and kind of, like, platform someone like that. So I was just kind of curious what you think about about that like um or even like, one other thing i'll say really quickly like um i know like he had abby martin on and um, that's the only time i've ever seen i only saw the clips of it ever watched it but you know she talked really pretty honestly about that her documentary she made about israel palestine and um i just i don't think like even even john stewart like definitely trevor noah would never have somebody on to speak that way you know so i'm just kind of curious I, like i'll say i'll say, just, I'll say yeah, this that's my whole point yeah yeah i'll say this I used to like him back in the day on certain when he first was starting to podcast because he wasn't doing anything controversial. And I think one good thing that worked about him is he is so open minded and credulous yeah, almost to a fault that he would just have anybody on and he would just be like, Wow, really? Whoa, you know, wow, uh I I did DMT once. Yeah, okay, go on. And, and he would <laughs> let you say Yeah, he has the mind of a child. <laughs> yeah. But that same trait hurts him when it's something that needs someone intelligent to push back against you know like you could tell him like um the stoned ape theory and he'll let you go off and it'll be interesting to listen to fury rick wash comes on he'll let you go off but then you could be chuck johnson talking about race and iq and he'd be like is that is that for real really you know but it's like okay wait a minute this is a time so he's good in his wheelhouse i think but his wheelhouse is way more narrow than he thinks uh, it is. That's what I'll say about it. And I'll let I, have- I think one of the things he probably would benefit from is like having a straight man co-host. Like he can be the you know the the goofy, empty-headed dude that's just like staring in wide-eyed wonder at whatever his guest is telling him. And, and not to say that he's like doesn't occasionally show flashes of brilliance. He does. But there are some times you need somebody that is maybe closer to a subject matter expert or can apply more rigorous questioning to what a guest says. Because I think for him, it's just like, oh, well, if you just let people talk things out, they'll eventually meet in the middle and come to some sort of a consensus. And that's just not the way the real world works. Audie Cornish, go on Joe Rogan's show and be his co-host. Katie Helper. Katie Helper, go on Joe Rogan's. (laughs) Yeah, I mean... I think that not to sound like a, a lib, I mean, but sometimes I do think we can be a little obsessed with how someone platforms other people or like there, there is such thing as having someone on your show with whom you don't agree a hundred percent. 
And I feel like I feel pressure to do this. If I have someone on the show who's saying something, I feel like I am either have to be really awkward and combative so I don't piss certain people off, which I don't really want to be. So I have some empathy for that, for just having someone on your show to let them say what they want to say within certain, obviously, um, parameters. Um, but I think that that's something that people like about him, is that he'll just have people on and kind of let them say their thing. Which is, which I is fine. I, I, seems, I, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say, he also assumes good faith to a fault. That's the only thing I was... To what to a fault? He, is, good faith. he assumes good yeah. faith in the people he's talking yeah. to, like, to a fault. So they can say whatever type of well, information they want, and he just kind of uh, lets them... Except for rare times, it's something he knows about. Like, like if you say someone is a, good, is a good comedian, he doesn't think so. He's like, that's bullshit, right. bro. That guy sucks. You know, but... Well, it was interesting. He had, remember... I don't know if you guys saw Barry Weiss was on, and she called Tulsi Gabbard a, uh, a, a, an Assad toady. And he's like, what, what do you mean, an Assad toady? And she's like, he's a toady. And he's like, what is that? What what does the word toady mean? And she couldn't define it. And he had her, his someone like in the room, look it up. And then basically Barry Weiss had to like eat. Well, no, she doesn't have the shame, the sense of like shame to to feel any shame or embarrassment. But a normal person would have. But she basically was exposed for just smearing someone. Yeah, probably just know like backed off. Meant. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, a little bit. But Oh, she didn't even know what the word meant? No. No. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, she has she she she's an <laughs> Tulsi Gabbard is an amphibian. Uh, she yeah. uh, hangs yeah. around witches. Yeah. Uh, she she was she was born in a clutch of eggs. Yeah. yeah. You know. <laughs> she's go She went through her tadpole phase uh, in Hawaii. Uh, <laughs> but I I do think that also I mean to to the uh, the speaker's point um, that he had Abby Martin on and she talked about her amazing film Gaza Fights for Freedom. It, again, so much of the, the discussion about Rogan is like, why are we, why are we talking? Why is Rogan such a such a powerful voice? Like, what is the the regular media, the establishment media, doing so poorly that he stands out so much? And I think that a lot of people in establishment media don't want to look at that. But I also think that Rogan's critics outside of the establishment media, like his leftist critics, need to look at that too. We can't I just, just like throw our hands up. And roll our eyes. I mean, we can. But mm, I feel the same way with with to... Jordan. I feel the same way with Jordan Peterson in that mm. uh, everybody always focuses on the dumb things Jordan Peterson says and tries to focus on that and try to um, erode his fan base by saying, "Well, look what he did against Zizek. He got Marxism totally wrong. He got owned. He got this and that." But yeah. what people don't understand is if you listen to a lot of Jordan Peterson, he talks about stuff that, you know, a lot of guys throughout direction feel really speaks to them that is not being mirrored anywhere else in the media. The mainstream media is just about, you know, toxic masculinity and all this stuff. And I was like, that's what you have to kind of attack or replace because what people think, in my opinion, is I so want to be spoken to in this manner. I still want a dad or a big brother that I never had that to get this, I will tolerate that. So I think pointing out all the dumb things he says about misdefining Marxism and his factual mistakes, they're like, they're not going to want to hear it because it, it, it's kind of kind of compassionate. Okay, if, but if the, other day, the other day, the other day, the motherfucker posted a picture, okay, of himself 
with this kitted out. I I don't remember what kind oh of gun, gun it was. It might have been an MP5. He was in the room that was fully fucking lit, and he had not all. Okay, you, you gotta see this. He, the room was fully lit. He's at a gun range. All right, and he's got like a tactical helmet with NVGs on, like the night vision goggles. Bro, what the fuck do you need night vision goggles for in a fully lit room? And why does your gun have a silencer on it and you've got earmuffs on? What the fuck? I, I agree listen. with you, but I'm saying they don't care because he's talking to their soul. Like, like, like if, if your pastor was going to promise you salvation, would you care that he his shoelaces are the wrong color? Or that's what it's see. not the I, shoelaces I, I, I are the wrong. Yeah, disagree. I disagree with some of this because a, I think it is perfectly fine to ridicule jordan peterson and also be like well you know we need to provide an alternative sort of idea of what it means to be like a man in the modern world i think it's also very fine to ridicule yeah. jordan peterson for being an asshole and an idiot i want to say real quick i think it's fine to ridicule him too i just don't think the ridicule is going going to fix the other problem is what i'm right, saying like, right. I, yeah yeah i i just think that like i just think that like you know what well, first of all, I think that we can't give Joe Rogan that much credit for platforming people because who are, you know, sort of shut out of the mainstream media simply because he does it on accident with no intentionality. You know, so even though That's he does true. it, it's like, I mean, I don't think you should give him I think, well, as is so often the case, it's as much of a damnation or it's as much as, as a, an indictment of the media, the establishment media than it is like to his credit. Right. It's like, sure. It's, but but I mean, I don't think it's. There, it, for better or for worse, it does take some courage to have someone on to talk about their movie called "God Is a Fight for Freedom." Right, like, but shouldn't. also, like he would, he would very easily have somebody on who, like, he could very easily and with no intentionality have somebody on who completely opposed, uh, you yeah, know, her I'm position sure on Gaza. Had. And so I just like, I just like, I, 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 I understand the critique. I'm just like, I don't know how much credit I can assign him. And I also think that you know the part of it is that you know. They do platform both Peterson and, uh, you know, and Rogan represent a sort of like entry point into crypto fascism in various ways, because Peterson certainly, uh, certainly like that's what his ideology is meant for. It's sort of the fascism light. It's the Salazar type shit, you know, um, the uh, but, you know, Joe Rogan presents ways to sort of allow that to trickle into the discussion. And so it's just it feels I, I also think that it's just like it, it feels like giving him credit for, you know, uh, for going around the traditional media doesn't work. It does. I can't give him that much credit because, like, you know, he will instantly contradict it or he will, you know, he will just not right. take an ideological stand on anything. He's just doing it because these are just people that he just randomly has on. There's no I, intentionality or we... critique there, really. Yeah, but I think that's um, kind of less like we could spend all day analyzing his motives. But I think that the question is, what is it that he does provide for people? So like credit aside um, and intention aside, I think it's useful still to look at what he uh, to, to, regardless of how and why he's doing it. Like what it is that he, yeah, that he provides. Sure. Yeah, I agree. Like, for example, if um, somebody is winning over voters because he gives out free bread every Friday. Like it's not like we're saying he's doing it out of the goodness of his heart. We're just saying right. that's what we think we think he does. Not that he's doing it for any noble. I don't think he's doing it for any noble reason. I totally agree with you on that. And the same with Jordan Peterson. I don't think he's providing any really good service for these men with any great good intentions. I just think 
that's what is appealing to him. And people, you know, I, I'll actually, I, I will actually uh, challenge you a bit on that, Trevor. I think Peterson really believes in what he's doing, and I think he is, in a way, like, uh, I think he is actually trying to establish some sort of a, um, I don't know, like uh, a bellwether for disaffected and alienated young men. Uh, just That's to fair. give, yeah, just just to, just to like give a lot of these like directionless young men uh, a place to stand and 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 how to like uh, how to conceptualize themselves in a world that that oftentimes they feel like has left them behind. I think Peterson really is a true believer in what he does, hmm. um, for I'm, better or for worse. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm on yeah. the Hiroto uh, speak, so by all means, Hiroto, um, unmute. Unmute. I mean, oh wait, what happened to Hiroto? Oh. Probably the the microphone button is very close to the leave speakers button. Might have uh, accidentally hit that. Oh, yeah. okay. So you know what? I will make him next. So so you're you're back in there. Oh, sorry about that. Can you guys hear me? Yeah, yes. I can hear you. Yeah, um, yeah. Great discussion. Um, yeah, uh, just really quickly about Jordan Peterson. Um, he, if you guys want to see like uh, like his past, like. He's been done. He's been on, he's been on this for like over fifteen years. On YouTube, there's a show called The Agenda with Steve Pakin. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. I'll and on that Jordan show. Peterson has so many videos on that on there. So yeah, he's. A, I really believe he's a true believer of what he's trying to do, and he really has a messiah complex. I really believe. Um, um, but uh, yeah, I just wanted to just I guess. No, I, I feel like Peterson because he wasn't like this. As a matter of fact, like we actually have mutual. Uh, I don't know if we'd say mutual friends, but like mutual acquaintances and people I know that have known him for a long time said that, you know, once he, once he made that uh, video, when he was a U of T professor uh, talking about how the Canadian government forcing people to use proper pronouns, otherwise they'll like throw you in jail. If you, if you don't do it, uh, you know, it's an attack on free speech and so on and so on. Uh, it was, it was after that point that he began to change for a lot of them. So it kind of feels to me like he's been, I don't know, like, shouting into the wilderness that there does need to be some sort of a space afforded uh, to young men to, like I said, conceptualize themselves in a world that in many ways tells them that their simple active being is destructive. And he's, he's like, well, since nobody's going to do it, then it may as well be me. It's like uh, Thanos, like reaching down and picking up the infinity <laughs> gauntlet and saying, all right, well, I'll do it myself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to, uh, that, yeah, that was my main question. But yeah, like if anybody wants to check out those videos, a lot of them have been wiped. I think some of the more problematic uh, takes have been wiped, but um, this they're, they're still out there, I think. Um, oh. And uh, oh, sorry. oh sorry. no, no, no! You just reminded me. I forgot when they were. I forgot it was on Rogan, right? When Peterson went on and they were talking about like black skin, white skin. Yeah. You guys know what I'm talking about? So yeah, yeah. Michael Ar Michael Eric Dyson is not black. He's brown oh man i'm God. not white uh, i'm sort of tan uh, yeah oh, that was a new thing um but well, that's a that was actually that's, that's a very recent. that's recent right yeah that was on joe rogan's interview like a couple weeks but that's a very yeah. canadian affectation i actually it didn't it didn't even make me mad when i saw that because a, a lot of white canadians think that way like yeah. they don't like to see black people as black they like to like deracinate everybody except indigenous people of course because there's something wrong with them right but uh where it comes to black people it's like oh well you know like we're all the same people and i do things that are more like culturally black than you like i go down to the patty shop and i might eat like tamarind balls or get a spicy a spicy beef patty and i, I notice that you get mild like 
they like to insert themselves into black people culture and say, well, you know, we are all the same. I like the same things you like. So why should we talk about race? And I think for him, it just came out in a really ham fisted way. I mean, Justin Trudeau is a huge fan of doing that. <laughs> yeah, he, even, Why? he even paints himself. That's right. <laughs> the shoe polished. But, but um, yeah, I just wanted to bring up two things, and I'll, I'll, I'll move um, I'll move on. But uh, just like, yeah, I've been watching Rogan since I, – I haven't watched him in a long time. But I remember I started watching him around when he believed the moon landings were fake. And that was just like the best Rogan stuff. I don't know if his really early videos are out there. But, yeah, he was – He's he. I think he's really a fluke, and um, I think that hit the MMA like culture and the timing too. He was in podcast pretty early. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think you know he's he's just a mistake, and he's just got, got he lucked out right time, right 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 place, and he just he just throws you know if you throw enough stuff against the wall, things are going to stick. And I think yes, as T as said, you know he's just been doing doing it so long. Plus, with the UFC commentary um, and having fighters and stuff, um, it really helped his platform. And then he be- got into science during the the I fucking love science um, 2010s, where everybody was a you know a, a science nerd for like you know five years. And, and I think oh the, that, oh, that yeah. Neil deGrasse Tyson. What? Oh, yeah, I was gonna say everybody's hero was Neil deGrasse. When, yeah. Back when back when everyone's profile picture was Neil deGrasse Tyson in college with the bicep showing. <laughs> Hey, hold on. Think for yourself. He's a perfect example of someone who just effed everything up by talking too much. Like, if he just didn't talk so much, yeah, what a dumbass he is. Like, the tide is so turned against him. I just want to say that. Who? Uh, Carry Rogan? on, Richard. Um, yeah. That, on, on no, the, no, on the other side. Oh, on the other side. Yeah. He's um like going back to the uh the the room uh title is I'm I remember the first time. Um, you know, I'm, I'm I'm 41, but I remember the first time that I was confused, like why is a comedian talking about politics? Was the Dennis Leary song uh, "I'm an Asshole," and I was, oh, and yeah. I remember like, why, yeah. what's going on here? Why is this? Uh, yeah, I just, it made me feel weird. I was like, you know, like 15 or something. But yeah, I, I was in high school when I came out, yeah. and I'm my friends loved that shit. Yeah, I'm yeah. too young for this. Yeah. I don't no, remember. You don't remember. Oh my god, you don't, I don't remember. Nine eleven. And I and I love to park in handicapped spaces <laughs> no. while handicapped people make handicapped faces. Because I'm an asshole. Yeah, that was. All my friends love that shit. No memory of this. I, I and now what I was, I was gonna say. I think I don't know what I don't really know much about Dennis Leary and his politics, but I, I think. That song got popular for the wrong reasons. Like I think he was trying to s- talk against that kind of American attitude, but a lot of people, you know, got the wrong message from it and la- was like laughing as the asshole. Right. And I think like, comedy no, he that today. And that, like that oh, yeah, yeah, I think he gave me too much credit. I think he gave yeah, he le- he leaned really hard into that because remember um, he was in Demolition Man, right? Uh, like yeah. he was like the uh, the subversive dude that was like rebelling against this uh, like toxically polite society that made all impoliteness illegal, uh, and he he was basically like playing the same character in that movie that he was playing on that song, and that that was a lot of his early yeah. comedy career. It's like I should yeah, have every right to be these... rude. Yeah, 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 and 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 he's one of those people in real life who just says that they're they're an asshole, but thinks it's cool. Oh, and they, he steals and... jokes, right? 
Uh, well, well, people claim that he ripped off Bill Hicks. I, I personally heard both their jokes. And I thought it was kind of a reach, but I mean, maybe people know better than me. But yeah, he's been accused of ripping off Bill Hicks. But uh, I, I mean, I mean, we we all know people who think that they're like this uh, lovable asshole that everyone likes, but everyone just hates them except for like two or three weirdos who, for some reason, are entertained by by it. You know what I mean? Like. Like I think we, we all know people like that. We're like, no, people just don't like you. No one thinks this is lovable except for that one guy who, for, for whatever reason. Yeah, but 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 if you turn that into a podcast, you'll get a lot of people who who love you. <laughs> That's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. You know, uh, I I don't know. Uh, T, have you T, have all, you listened and, to Come Town? I'll be that guy. <laughs> but they'll, but they'll, all, they'll all be that guy. Like basically, that guy I'm describing, they will all yeah. be the guys who tune in to yeah. um, the the one who has a podcast. Yeah. The one who has a podcast is a Friends episode. It's gotta be. Friends reboot (laughs) episode. (laughs) Um, I have a class take. Um, you know, not to, not to, not to do Marxism or anything, but I have a class take. Too fucking uh, late. On this. Oh shit. God damn. Uh, and Katie, I'm interested in your thoughts on this as another person who works in Hollywood. Um, but I think one of the one of the issues here is that like a lot of the early comedians and people are like, ah, oh, they're speaking truth to power. Uh, were working class people that were able to mm, become true. comedians yeah. as a result of you know an economy that supported working class people going into a higher echelon. Now, as time has gone on, uh, the film industry has become more and more consolidated, and therefore there are fewer and fewer opportunities to actually get into the film industry. So now, if you want to do, especially like if you want to do stand-up comedy, if you want to do comedy writing, your avenues to doing that are very narrow, and you have to live in one of three cities. Um, you know, you could either live in Los Angeles, you could live in New York, or you could live in the greatest city in the world, Chicago, Illinois. Um, and, you know, you have to go through working very shit jobs for meager pay. You can work as a PA, you can work as in the mailroom at an agency, you can, you know, do stand-up for pit, uh, pittance. Um, and the people who can afford to do that are people who, and I'm not naming names here. I'm not going to name names. People whose fathers, for example, were, uh, famous venture capitalists, uh, and, uh, lawyers and investment bankers. Uh, that's one guy. Um, again, not naming names or talking about anybody that we have recently discussed on this episode of this show. But, uh, you know, if you are somebody who, uh, has basically, been able to reach a position in the industry because your father was very rich or because, you know, your parents are famous art people um, or, you know, that sort of thing. You ultimately, there is a chance, and I'm not saying this is true, again, to preserve my career, there is a chance that you have to find something to substitute for the ability to actually be funny. And so the thing that you substitute is that you are a renegade truth teller who is, uh, you know, speaking truth to you know, against power or whatever the hell, because you have not actually developed the capacity to really like tell funny jokes. Um, again, I didn't name a single name, so it's impossible to tell who I'm talking about here. But um, that's that's my theory that the sort of classism inherent in the industry and the inability of working class people to really make it uh, as comics um or you know to really break into the industry compared to very wealthy people whose parents already had a lot of connections is responsible for a rise of comedians who are very much political diatribists because they think that's what a comedian's supposed to be and that's their skill versus like 
you know, telling jokes and doing comedy bits. Um, sorry, that was a little long, but. That's okay. No, I not at all. Correct no. something. I'm not a, I don't live in Hollywood. I, uh, I'm not a member, never have I ever been a member of, uh, of Hollywood. Ah, uh, you know, you, you, you write, you do film things. So, yeah. you know, you have, yeah. you have some familiarity like, with New, it. New York, born and, born and raised New York City. Only that's vacation, right. only visited in, in Los Angeles. I just, sorry, I had to, have to keep my brain. No, 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 that's totally okay. That's totally okay. I, to be clear, I mean, like, I'm using Hollywood as a met, metonym right. for, like, the entertainment industry in general. Uh, yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah. Uh, hey, Gabriella. So that's, that's my thing. Uh, hey, Gabriella, if you want to uh, either respond to what Noah was saying or talk about your own thing altogether, feel free. Floor is yours. Hello. Yeah, I think... Uh, Oh, hi. Well, first, I, I have a, a request for an explanation. I think, Noah, you said something about an Abby Cornish about 20 minutes ago. And so. Oh, Audie Cornish, me, uh, NPR host, um, who recently left NPR for uh, reasons okay. that are unclear, but probably. Okay, I know do, who do, that is. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but oh, me okay. and someone so. else in the audience have been texting, and I thought you said, I'm pretty sure you said Abby Cornish. Who's an oh, no, sorry. I meant Audie Cornish. Did I say <laughs> no, that sorry. wrong? Yeah, it's fine. Oh, it's my like, God. I'm, I'm like, sorry. I'm over here, like, furiously Googling, like, why did this girl from Three Billboards make a, this documentary? I don't understand. So, oh, anyway. So oh, no, you're talking about Abby Martin. No, Abby Martin. The documentary is by Abby Martin. Yeah, that's okay. It's fine. Um, so I, I do I do have, um, I guess, like, my question would be, so the thing about the just to circle back on the Joe Rogan thing is what happens is it feels a little bit groundhoggy like to follow any of this because you know like something happens something like a moment for you I open Twitter a moment goes viral I'm like oh what did Joe Rogan do again and then you know, um, all of a sudden, like there's a three, two to three day uh, cycle, like new cycle, and just like people constantly putting out. Um, statements and then you know some comps person at Spotify in Stockholm has to put out a statement denouncing it and then like three days later everybody forgets about it so it's like okay like this is just like a cycle that happens every couple months and then people want like Spotify to basically you know offload this host and that doesn't happen because obviously it's very lucrative for them but like where like to what end? Like, where is this going? Like, is this just like the rest of my life? Like, I'm just gonna wake up every month to this? Like, do people really think, like, deplatforming him or kicking him off is gonna actually fix anything? Is I guess my question, as far as like the liberal left, quote unquote. Yeah, it's a good question. Because I don't think it could ever do anything personally, but I think a lot of I liberals offload. Oh, sorry, go ahead. No. Oh, no, I, I was going to say, I think this is the longest I've seen it um, stick for a while, but I'm curious to see how why it'll come out of it. That, that was all I was going to I think a lot of liberal politics is really just vibe-based. It's like, you know, this guy creates, uh, you know, acknowledging that this guy exists is bad vibes, and if he, we got rid of him, the vibes would be good, and the country would survive. And a lot of liberals also offload their, like, offload social responsibility onto corporations which are the only entity with actual acting power in the in the economy and in the broader political sphere so they rely right. on corporations to solve things well it reminds me of like the you know like let's break up amazon or let's break up facebook and it's just like i feel like this conversation is not very productive because 
nothing it's actually just, comes yeah. of it. It's very yeah, performative, so. though, and you get to, like, you know, you get to virtue signal. And uh, it, I think that, you know, again, we get to, like, not talk about the fact that Joe Biden, who is supposed to be the pro-science guy and all the people who are against uh, Rogan claim to be so pro-science. And we have a vice president who said that no one knew that a new variant was coming. And we have a president and vice president and entire administration that decided not to um, prioritize vaccinating the entire world, which if you understand how virology works, you understand that that is not keeping even America safe, even if you don't care about people in other countries. Sorry if I'm sounding too like soapboxy, but it's just disgusting. Like we, this, they are as anti-science in many ways as the Trump administration was. They just have a much better discourse around it. And so all these people who claim to be so upset about Rogan, they're just, they're just either bad faith actors or they're just suckers. Absolutely. Um, it's the liberal version of like sort of the left wing people who are constantly like, I declare a general strike. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing? No, what, Michael, you know you can't just declare a general strike. I think what uh, I think the easiest way to understand like the liberal id is to imagine like somebody who sees themselves reflected in a Rosie the Riveter poster, or who like who or who like like sees like a, a stylized painting of Ruby Bridges walking to school, like the the normal the Norman Rockwell painting yeah. of Ruby Bridges Bridges walking to school. Like that's how that's how they literally see themselves. Like they they see themselves as Bayard Rustin. They see themselves as these like these historical figures that are like marching forward by waging one last pitched battle against the people that are making the world a worse place. And it's an entirely vibes based ideology. And their target could change at any moment in time for any reason whatsoever. And there's there's nothing guiding it at all. Like imagine imagine like like one of those aliens from men in black that is like really like a a human cyborg that's piloted by a tiny alien except the the tiny alien has a vote blue sticker on its chest and half the time it's asleep that's that's kind of how i i see the liberal there's just no rhyme or reason to it and no like there's no grander purpose other than I don't know, like taking a Republican scalp for every uh, one, everyone that's uh, taken from a Democrat. But is there any is there is there any broader like material agenda to it? I not that I've seen. We need to be I focusing like on general, scalp equity. Yeah, yeah. I feel, I feel like everything in general is like culture war. Everyone's addicted to it, and I think everything is kind of feeding off each other. In that, when people started treating themselves like their own farts just smell like potpourri all the time. Like George Clooney in that, in that uh, Oscar speech. Remember that? Where he's like, uh, we, uh, people talk about Hollywood and this and that, but we did this with um, racism. We did, it, does everyone remember that horrible Oscar yeah, speech? Yeah, yeah. I was a child. Okay, don't let me don't let me do to you what Paul Begala did to Meghan McCain, which was well, I wasn't born when the French Revolution happened, but I know about it. Oh, wow. <laughs> I, I mean, I mean, there's 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 that there's um, the comedians talking about how super important they are, and I think the audience and the entertainers are kind of both playing the same game, like the culture war matters more than anything so you have um people doing what uh what's what's your name whitney cummings and joe rogan did where like you know 
we talk bullshit for a living, but we, you know, um, uh, transgress or we help do free speech. And then their fans will pick up the same talking points and you'll be arguing with somebody and they'll be like, I don't care about any of that. Free speech is too important. And it's like, well, hey, would you let a pedophile speak at your school? It's like, well, no, that's different. It's like, okay, why, why is it different? You know, it's like, no, no, just fuck that free speech. And they sound just like, like for all the crazy stuff, when you, Cummings and Joe Rogan will say about how important comedy is and how it's um, changing the world. There's a lot of regular folk who agree with them. There's liberals who think what Jon Stewart did was really um, had some kind of lasting effect, even though it really didn't change anything, you know, who still like think, man, if we had Colbert today, uh, things would be amazing. Like, I don't know. Like, well, maybe Colbert before. Pre-Trump Colbert. Colbert. Yeah, we have Colbert. Colbert. Yeah. It's true. Exactly. If we had the the pre-Trump Colbert and this idea that that everybody has, and I don't know why there's been various theories. Some people, um, you know, Q was talking about the liberal id and everything. But, you know, I also think, too, like, it's a way to cope with, like, powerlessness. Like, this feels like something you can do. Yes. Whereas actual changing a real policy like no one even knows how to even do that now like like no one even right. knows i mean we have a supposed democrat uh institu- institution the dnc and a democrat president where nothing is on the table like student loans can't be forgiven universal health care shut up you know the only thing they can involve mm-hmm. us is the only thing they can say to us is we're not trump or we're not right. george w bush every time they come around that's the only yeah, thing they can promise now. us yeah, this feels like something that I think people can be like, hey, I can I can cancel somebody or I can get mad at um, yeah. a comedian. I don't know. That's that's my theory. Yeah, I think that there is that there is a powerlessness and that outrage is something that people can kind of sink their teeth into when there aren't a lot of other avenues to, to get stuff done. And oh, yeah. I, but also I also, also, want, if I also you're... want to say real quick, uh, this is to the audience. Um when we move to the next caller, uh, you're welcome to come back up and speak again. We just, you know, do it to keep things moving. So by all means, if you come up and talk and then we move you down to get to the next caller, you're always welcome to come back up. And and Noah, please proceed. Uh, yeah, I, 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 my thing is, if your politics is entirely aesthetics-based, which liberalism is currently in America, then, you know, the culture war is real and has tangible consequences because it affects the aesthetics thing. If your politics is based around, uh, you know, well, I want to elect Elizabeth Warren because I want a, a, a woman president, then the culture war does mean something in that particular sense. But it's just, you know, it's it's people who think, well, politics is how things appear and look and not really about power. It's not really about, you know, building anything. It's about, well, America's fine. We can just tweak it around the edges and that's fine, everybody. It's it's good. We're all fine. Yeah, I totally agree. Even in fucking California, even in California, like, you know, uh, the, the beautiful state of uh, California, uh, Gavin Newsom's whole thing is basically, you know, having one gelatinous mass of hair and claiming to be progressive and being like, we're going to pass Medicare for all. And then the moment that that's actually even slightly a possibility, it gets smacked down in the assembly without even a vote. So we don't know who to go after for not passing single payer health care in California. So, you know, it's all fine. Yeah, well said. But it's vibes. It's vibes. Actually, I, I have a question, which is, uh, like, I, I, there's a long history of, 
uh, white comedians that have either like vaunted themselves to be master truth tellers or people have placed them in that position. Like I think a lot of uh, George Carlin's um, early, like early comedy that people were really starting to pick up on as like broader social commentary. I don't think he really wanted to be in that position, but then after a certain point, he kind of enjoyed being in that position. I don't remember when exactly that happened with black comedians. Cause like, it, it kind of feels like black comedians jumped on that bandwagon as society's bold truth tellers. And I think a lot of people have coalesced around Dave Chappelle doing that. But I mean, I remember growing up and, and watching black comedy, like we would talk about things that were unique and relatable generally to black people. And there can wasn't, you give, can a, you give some examples? Like, like do, you, do you remember, do you remember watching, you remember watching comic view way back in the day? And most of the stuff that like Don DC Curry or like, um, Oh, that's uh, stuff I understand. Like, I'm at the truth tellers. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. Like, uh, like a lot of, uh, I don't know. Like, you look at look at somebody like a Ricky Gervais, who's like, you know, his, his entire goal is to, you know, he's on this quest to quote unquote get himself canceled. Um, or like even the uh, the uh, people from like the uh, the Opie and Anthony, um, that that whole like uh, New York like offensive New York comedy clique, or like oh, like the shock, I, the shock jaw types really, like. I thought you were saying that, that black comedy was starting to yeah, come too. that way. Oh, no, 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 no. I was saying, no, what I was saying is that, like, a lot of people have sort of uh, coalesced around Dave Chappelle as this, like, uh, this this truth teller. But now I hear black people saying the same thing, that that's what comedians are there for. And I just don't remember that kind of history in black oh, comedy. You, you mean black people as fans or black comedians? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, oh, no, okay. black black people as oh, fans saying, are saying, yeah. You're saying his defenders who are black fans are saying he's a truth teller. Like right, right, now. and I I've just—I've—I've—I I've no, don't remember any kind of tradition in black comedy where they're elevated to that point. Like, the, what about Richard Pryor? I was just going to say the best example I can possibly think of is Richard Pryor, but Richard Pryor was more like talking about the 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 facets of black life that people normally would be too embarrassed, like didn't want to talk about, because he had like, I guess like a very unique and and rough upbringing, and he would talk about those facets of his youth. Um, and make up these characters that were relatable to black people, like, uh, you know, people who were like, who would just like tell these, incred these incredible lies or people that were just like straight up drunks or, you know, pimps and prostitutes and that kind of stuff. Like he, he would talk about those things and it was funny and relatable to a lot of working class black people, but he, there wasn't really that kind of comedy before him because it was very clean cut. So I, I don't know that he was a truth teller. He was just more a person that was like, making jokes out of a, a very dark underside to black life that people didn't really want to acknowledge in public. But he wasn't he, taking on... Uh, political, yeah. have a lot of political... I can't think of any now. Um, he did used to... He used to joke about Richard Nixon. Like, I remember he, uh, he joked about, like, Richard Nixon going to jail, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but he, I, I don't know that I would call it overtly political. Well, I think that I think that comedians being truth tellers like is a relatively recent phenomenon in the sense of that having any social weight. Like the like you know there were comedians who were like spoke truth to power or whatever like in the fifties and sixties and the seventies etc. But like the amount of social weight that that had pretty low because there were you know other commentators. But again, I just think that because we have sort of moved to having kind of like a state media and we we have uh, in in a lot of ways like a very like dominant neoliberal hegemonic media and because we have moved to you know a reduced 
actual participation in politics and a reduced amount of acceptable opinions. And because of the thing that I mentioned earlier, the concept of comedian as truth teller has emerged very recently because like also I don't remember, again, please do remember, I was very young, but I don't remember people talking about George Carlin in like the early 2010s in the same way that people talk about George Carlin now. No, or they, even they, in the late was, thousands. I don't, I think that, the, I think maybe not that, I think you may just be a little young. I may just be too young. Yeah, yeah I think I you're may too young because I don't I'm think a little birthday that, boy. Right. <laughs> no, because I, I don't, and I think that that's been a, uh, the truth telling comedian has been a, a trope for a while. I think maybe they didn't have as much power as they do now because of the way like content is created these days. Um, in terms of money, uh, let me maybe. let me actually alter what I'm saying because I think I think what I mean is that the social position of the truth-telling comedian has changed in the yeah. sense that like you know you like the Daily Show is a really big thing that is sort of mainstream and it that's its ostensible purpose right, right. is to tell truth even though it doesn't but that's it or like John Oliver everybody watches. All, all, every liberal, and by the way, I think John Oliver is very good. I think he does a really good show. And he does some important stuff too. And he does I think some it's, important stories. I think it's very entertaining. I think it's funny. I think it has good factual value. I think it's you know, yeah. it's, et cetera. But it's like that has that's a social position that, for example, like Lenny Bruce didn't have. Of course, you know. So, yeah. so I think that social position and its position within the dominant uh, sort of hegemonic media narrative is what has shifted. And has caused them to has caused that yes, to become it's an now prof, Now it's now it's now a commercially viable thing to do, as opposed to before when it wasn't, and you would just die, right, right. you know, overdose in a hotel room, totally broke, and you know. Yeah, and then they would appreciate the you more after you died. Basically. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 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 you know what I was thinking of too was I feel like uh, for the left wing, it's about you have to be a TED talk. Like I watch a lot of comedy. Yeah. Where I'm like okay. This is just a TED talk, but it has the cadence of a joke. So you almost, it almost tricks you into thinking that you're watching comedy. But it's like, if you said this exact same thing, but in a regular neutral voice, it would sound like a TED talk. Like there's no actual um, punchlines or or anything. And I think for the right, or at least like this this new right, those people who are in that um, in that context media circles and stuff, like they just have like hate speech but with the cadence of a joke like it has the walking around the stage and vocal ticks of a joke but like, like that, that that Shane Gillis guy who got uh, kicked off a Saturday Night Live like I was watching his um, Asian slur rant I'm like this is not even like a joke he's just complaining about Asians like this is not even there's no punchline or, or anything and I think uh, I think Noah talked about this earlier about people who just don't tell jokes anymore and they just kind of um you know, no, there's Dave Chappelle, but there's also like the Hannah Gatsby lady who. Uh-huh. I was like, okay. just gonna mention Hannah Gatsby because, like, yeah. I, I I remember a solid a solid six months where people were trying to gaslight anybody who didn't like Hannah Gatsby into believing, like, well, if you don't think this is comedy, you're just you're just an asshole or you're a bigot of some kind. And I was like, but there was just nothing funny that happened. There's no there's no jokes, and it's and it's like it's like okay, just if you want to do hate speech, just. Stand in the corner and just rent, you know. Or if you want to do a TED talk, do a TED talk. Like I was watching Hassan Minaj, right? And I was watching some of his uh, Netflix show, and he had a couple episodes where I'm watching it. And I'm like, wait, he's actually dropping some really good information. I'm learning a lot of stuff from this. And then he would just keep breaking up the rhythm and the momentum by having to um, break up his speech with a one-liner 
or a punchline every like uh, two minutes, and they just weren't hitting and they weren't funny, and all they huh. were doing was just breaking up the momentum. And I was like, dude, why don't you just do an informational show? Like, maybe you don't have to do jokes. Like, 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 like you're trying to force a joke every minute, like clockwork. Uh, and then like, look at the screen, and you almost want to hear like a rim shot, an invisible rim shot going off. It's it's just uh, yeah. I mean, I don't know. For some reason, at some point, comedian became the thing to break in with if you want to become a public intellectual. Like, and I think uh. some of these people don't even really want to be comedians. They just want to um, be conscious um, TV or movie Are... creators or actors. Uh. Yeah. And it's just, and, it, and it's like okay, if I want to be a public intellectual, back in the day I had to write a, a epic nonfiction book, but now I have to have a woke uh, comedy set, you know. And I, yeah, I, I don't know. And 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 same for like some of these right wing guys. Back in the days, you would have just had an angry talk radio show where you just ranted all day, or or you would have formed a hate group. Right. But now you huh. instead go into comedy. Yeah, George Lincoln Rockwell stand-up set really sucked, I just gotta say. <laughs> Not a single joke. Where was it? I don't get it. I'm telling you, today today he'd be a shock jock, or he'd be on Context Media. George <laughs> Lincoln Rockwell and the right. Gooch. <laughs> Can I say, I'm impressed with all the references that you missed, but then you come up with uh, George Lincoln Rockwell, so... You surprised them. My knowledge uh, of American history ends in 1975. Are we talking about Chappelle at all, by the way? Oh, it's all fair game. Yeah, that's fine. That, that, um, that story about him blocking the affordable housing thing? Okay, well, well, that's not even really comedy, so I don't know. I mean... Okay. Yeah, if you want to segue... Okay, actually, uh, Hiroshi, uh, if you want to... Unmute. But no rush. But, but, um, but if you don't want to bring it up, by all means, you can bring it up later. Yeah. Yeah. Can you guys hear me? Yes. Yeah, we can hear you. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just want to just uh, go back to what uh, Noah was saying. Uh, I think that I think he really hit the nail on the head about class. Um, like this whole truth teller thing, it seems to me like it's a flattening of all artistic expression. Like there's like all music, all movies all artwork it's all like done by this by the super rich so nobody can really say anything important because it's all you know curated to be this like neoliberal you know uh like ideology so like comedy it is like the last place where you can have you know like the pure essence of someone saying what's on their mind so that might be why we're seeing like no more jokes, but people just, you know, just you know, uh, letting all their you know b bigotry or in in insecurities on stage because it's one of the last like um, ways of expression. Um, so yeah, I don't know if that like uh, there's the, that book Capitalist Realism by I think Mark Fisher. I, I think that's what it's about. Yeah, Capitalist Realism. Yeah, um, but um, yeah, I kind of. So maybe that's what we're seeing now is it's like this flattening of, you know, um, all kinds of, you know, artistic expression is just resulting in people just going into comedy to to express anything. Because if you want to be a, a, a like a, a bigot, you can start a you can start a band or you can, you know, make bigoted comic books or whatever. But like you, you, you can't do that anymore because everything like all those avenues are you know cut off from you know the the regular the, the regular person of them yeah i mean i also want to add that like 
I do think that we are, we, there's a lot of really, really good, uh, content being made right now. Um, uh, in, even in comedy, I think there's, there is a lot of good comedy out there and there's a lot of it that's very funny. I think this is actually sort of the flip side of the Joe Rogan thing we were talking about earlier that, and, and, you know, that uh, Katie talked about earlier. Um, and and, in the sense that like, you know, he's, it, 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 it's a space where the boundaries of what you're allowed to say are more ill-defined. So that's where people are taking the opportunity to sort of bring in information or bring in things that like are not necessarily part of the hegemonic media narrative or like things that in the past would have been the domain of the public intellectual. That's where it's going because that's just a place that is less defined in terms of what you're allowed to say. Um, so we're going to take Andy back and also welcome um, Vita to the speaker stage. She is a co-host on a regular podcast. Oh, Vina finally podcast. made it to call in. Congratulations. I finally made it. So happy. I had literally rushed right after work. And I had to work late. Right after work to go to my friend's house to pick up this phone. And then try to make it back home in time for y'all's conversation. So, I worked hard to get here. <laughs> I liked your tweet. <laughs> it was funny. I said, I, said that I noticed y'all not letting black women speak on here. But I'm glad I'm here now. Finally, I haven't. Has a black woman been on here before? No, no. No, no, no. Brianna, talking about today or in general? No, in general, you have Brianna on. Uh, She was on. I think some other in the audience came on. Kamaria came on, but today, today you are the first. No, we we wiped that we wiped that episode because this is a misogynist podcast. (laughs) You don't do that. Um, I'm going to let you get to your callers, but I have some comments, but I know Andy can wait. No, no, you go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, Vita, if you want to go first, that's cool. Well, it was just so much that was said. Um, It's funny because one of the things I realized in listening to this conversation is I don't listen to white comedians really ever. Um, They're just not that That's good. That's good. I mean, I'll tell you who I think is funny. I think Bill Burr is funny. But other than that, I don't really think uh, white, most white comedians are very funny in general. And I think, and I would say nowadays, back in the day, I definitely think I had some that I thought were funny. I thought um, when I was a kid, I liked, you know, like Tim Allen, Paula Poundstone, you know, I'm taking it way back. Um, but now I feel like a lot of people are so try hard that it doesn't come off as authentic comedy. It's like they're making comedy specifically to get put on in other spaces. And it takes away from the comedy. I was watching this documentary, um, and I highly recommend it. It's on Amazon Prime called Fat Tuesdays. And uh, most people don't know this, and I learned this from watching the documentary, actually. Um, black comedy was really the shit in L.A. L.A. is where black comedy started. Um, I didn't know that, especially in the 90s when it really blew up. Like, you don't see black comedians like you did back in the day. Like, when I was a kid growing up, I would watch Comic View religiously. I would watch Def Comedy Jam religiously. Yeah. You know? I don't watch any of these niggas now. Like, I just, I don't think most of them are funny. Um, I think, a lot of, like I said, they're all trying to do something else so it doesn't come off like authentic comedy. Like, I'm watching clips of Robin Harris, you know, and he's talking about real shit that people relate to, not just politics, just black shit, just shit people in the audience, like, you know, dating somebody with kids that you think are some badass kids. 
you know, or, um, you know, just shit that I think, or like being poor, you know, what, is, what, what that experience is like, like D.O. Hughley, or they just, you know, play the dozens with the audience, you know, where they clown people in the audience and it's off the cuff and it's very natural. Now it feels like everything is like super political, mean spirited, punching down as, as a front for pretending like you being um, clever. And I think that's like that white boy humor, especially I used to get on my fucking nerves. You know that shit where it's like, I'm a white guy, but I'm clever and I'm just, you know, I'm calling out the bullshit. I'm just telling it like it is. Like all that I, shit is. Uh-huh. Gary Owens? I am tugging Dennis at Leary. my collar. Dennis Leary. I am tugging at my collar. Right <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I think she means more of the Dennis Leary type. Which we're oh, okay, okay. But Gary Owen, oh, y'all want to, hey, y'all not, me and uh, his fans got into it. I don't know if y'all know about that. Um, that was man. Gary Owens is a black people problem. Like that was our fault because he got way too many passes in the 1990s and he got comfortable. Way <laughs> too many passes. Um, I think he and his. Uh, that's one of my pet peeves in general is white comedians and not just white comedians. I've actually noticed this. I went to a comedy situation, not too long, a comedy club, not too long ago, uh, and I was with um, a friend of mine because his friend's a comedian. And we went to go see him. And as we're waiting for him to come on, we're watching all these other comedians. And one of the things that pisses me off about non-black comedians is when they talk to a black audience, their whole accent changes. Yeah. Their body Although, language changes, he, they roll their neck. That was like a, I think that was a thing that kind of started with Gary Owens. Because remember, Louis Anderson used to perform in, in black comedy clubs. And he was, he was the same dude always, which is why I think a lot of black people liked him. Because like, he would kind of give an, I don't know, like an insight into how poor white people lived but he didn't try to make a bit out of it or make like a whole like he wasn't a Larry the Cable Guy kind of comedian he would just be as like raw and real and vulnerable as black comedians would but he wouldn't change himself right like you know what's funny in Fat Tuesday the documentary they talk about Bob Saget would go to Fat Tuesday Fat Tuesday was the black comedy night at the comedy store in Hollywood and the reason why they created Black Tuesday just quick history is because after the 92 uprising, some people call them riots. We out here call them uprising. Um, the, after the 92 uprising, um, Hollywood wouldn't come to the comedy club in South Central. They wouldn't go what they call South of the Three Presidents, or as we call it, South of the Ten Freeway. So basically South Central. They wouldn't go to South Central. And that's where all the black comedians were. Because they they, if you were a black comedian, you didn't really get put in Hollywood. That You weren't at Laugh Factory. You weren't at the comedy store. I mean, if you were... You had to do like white people jokes, you know. Um, so what happened was after the uprising happened, Hollywood people wouldn't come back to the hood, so they created Fat Tuesdays at the comedy store. So they can, so that way, and that's an important thing for comedians because you know. can't get seen, you can't get jobs essentially if you're not seen by Hollywood. So that's why, and that, that's actually the beginning of like black comedians getting um, like. TV shows, you know, as many as they did. That was actually the 90s. You had Robin Harris, you had Martin, you had um, they, they listed all of them. I can't think of all of them. Hey, uh, was Mr. Cooper. Yeah, that, yeah they, they mentioned him, uh, Mark Curry. Um, so it was just like a, a, a whole culture even in LA with uh, comedy. But at any rate, um, that, the thing that stood out to me though is the fact that you know, these non-black comedians will go to these spaces and they have to imitate, like, be caricatures or they have to make sure they highlight their race. And I thought that shit was super corny. Like, I was at a restaurant yesterday at a black restaurant 
and I, the girl next to us was white because it was actually gentrified soul food restaurant. Fuck that shit. Anyway, um, the what city is this? Los Angeles. I'm in LA. Oh, okay. Um, nice. Yeah, born and raised my entire life. Love this place. She's anyway, not gonna be. Your, oh. She's not gonna be your friend, Noah. She don't. She don't oh, talk sorry, to my people I, like I, that. That's that's good. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I, <laughs> oh. I'm, 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 that's smart. <laughs> I, I moved here. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, Vito don't fuck with white people like that. Sorry, bro. Especially out here. I'm Latino. <laughs> oh, he 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 Latino, white Latino. Yeah. He might be I'm Puerto Rican. Oh, you Puerto Rican? I am apologizing for the. I'm, I'm before before the. Sorry, I don't mean to distract you from the anecdote, but I do want to apologize for the Latino community right here. Uh, because uh, yeah, you want to yeah. talk about people. You want to talk about people doing an accent? Um, <clears throat> gonna leave it at that. <laughs> or I get canceled. Yeah, and and, and you know, giving giving yourselves permission to, to use the N word, and black people are just like, yeah, it's all right, you know. Uh, right. No, yeah. yeah, that's a whole conversation. Yeah. But apologizing um, for but, her. But, but the thing is, like, so this white girl is like, we. So my friend and I just asked her something like, "Oh, how was the you know the chicken sandwich?" And she's like, "Oh, it was good. It was just a little spicy." But you know, I'm white. I'm like, bitch, we oh, see God, you. Oh, God, I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> like, why was that that's even so corny. To say? That's credential. It's like, okay, yeah, that's trying to show that you're that you're down. Right. And it, that was, so this is what's pissing me off. So this is what's happening in Gentrified LA. Like, this is, because this is in South Central when this happened. Like, we're in a restaurant in South Central, but it's like an area that's getting highly gentrified very quickly. Um, like, very, even the restaurant was like, gentrified. what, like near USC? Yeah, not far. So like ah. further west of USC, so Adams area. So Adams. Okay, so as a former USC student, I also want to apologize for you. No, I'm no. a Trojan, Noah. I went to USC. <laughs> nice fight on. Yeah, fight on. Um, so I, now I have to fuck with you because you no, know, that Trojan Network shit—they hammer in your fucking head. Uh, I hate that school <laughs> so much. Uh, regret. Um. That's, yeah. Sorry. It, no, it's funny because um, I'm literally from that neighborhood. So as they're gentrifying it, I'm going to USC. How wild is that shit? Um, Jeez. Like literally from the neighborhood. I, I went to the high school down the street. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, the University of South Central. Um, Jesus Christ. But you get my point, though, right? Like It's like oh, they get up there and they have to like imitate us or what they think we want to hear. Like, I've just seen this dude. I think the dude was like Middle Eastern. And he's just like telling these jokes like he has to imitate black people to do it. Like, yeah, this motherfucker, it's like a fucking black exploitation movie. That's what he sounded like. <laughs> but you know but you know what's funny though, Vita, is that like I, I'll watch comedians now and it feels like they're trying to fit into a culture that they may not have grown up with. It it feels like a lot of like I don't know. It, you tell me if I'm wrong. A lot of uh, black comedy that I see, at least, very much feels like black people that didn't even necessarily grow up under the kind of circumstances that they're talking about trying to fit in. And it, it kind of feels like all of the real black comics are, like, gone. Like, they're not really well-known anymore. I feel like the last real black comic out there was Cat Williams. Yeah, and that's probably pretty accurate, to be honest. Because the other ones that I would say there are... They're not getting. They're not even as big as Catwoods. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Like how big is Earthquake? How big is Bruce Bruce? How big is? You know what I mean? It's a J. Anthony Brown. Like. Yeah, like like Lavelle Crawford. Ever since he lost the weight, he wasn't the same. 
Ex- oh man, yeah, exactly. Um, Melanie Camacho, she never gets any credit, you know. Yeah. Um. So some more. That's another one. You know, like, you could just go down the line. Yeah, and she used to tell. She used to tell the nastiest jokes too. She was funny as hell. Oh, but like, it's it's like that that brand of humor. Like it just went by the wayside. I think after like Comic View and and Def Comedy Jam stopped being a thing, we stopped valuing those comics. And I think the ones who kind of survived were um the kings of comedy you know deal hughley uh yeah. bernie max steve harvey and so on but then like after i don't know if i would say that they fell off but you know they they like gradually they, to, they started transitioning to other shit really. yeah 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 exactly so after they they moved on to become like tv show host or game show host or whatever and unfortunately like bernie mac died like it, it doesn't seem like anybody came in to replace them but they all have and their if, own tv shows too yeah 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 but um, what I'm trying to say is that like it feels like everyone threw their energy behind uh, Dave Chappelle and Chris Rock to an extent. Oh yeah. But Dave Chappelle and Chris Rock, as as T said before, it's like sometimes it didn't feel like they were actually trying to speak to a black audience, and I think that's where the inauthenticity crept in. That's a good point, and I think that to your question, yeah, absolutely, I think that makes a big difference. Um, especially if you look at, you know, Chris Rock's upbringing and Dave Chappelle's upbringing. Um, I know Chris Rock didn't say grew up, like, rich or anything, but he had a you know, two-parent home, working-class family. Um, Dave Chappelle, we know, comes from an educated family. Um, it's a very different thing when... To be fair to Chris Rock, uh, he his family had, like, something like seven or eight kids, and he was in... That's crack true. era bed style. He was he was in crack era bed style. So I think two parents or not like crack era bed style. I think uh, is a whole different beast. That's a definitely you know that? that's definitely true. But I think but to the point that he was making though, I do think he was talking to a white audience, and I also think that's where people realized where the money was. Cause remember, Chris Rock is also Saturday Night Live. You know what I mean? That's white to, to me. Saturday Night Live is white shit. So I didn't grow up watching that. <laughs> No, I, I didn't. I didn't either. I watched *In Living Color* and *Mad TV*. Mm-hmm. Those are yeah. the things I watched. Yeah. Um, and it was way more black people on *Mad TV*. You know. Um, so it was just Saturday Night Live to me is white comedy. So, outside of like Eddie Murphy, I really think most of them that came up through, even Eddie Murphy, really, if you count him, um, they still have. They know how to reach the white audience a certain way, and they know what kind of characters and acting and voices to do to reach that white audience. Sorry, Katie, felt like you were going to say something there. Oh no! Uh, uh, just totally random. I was going to say that I just learned today. Speaking of Chappelle's upbringing, his mom worked for Patrice Lumumba for a bit. Yeah. Oh, are we going to get into the ops? Oh, we got to yeah. get into the ops. <laughs> yeah, don't yeah. don't get me. <laughs> Katie, no, if we do this, we're going to be here all night because I will uh, – okay, so actually me and, and uh, my friend Rennie um, got into this a while back and a few other people on Twitter like dug into the archives as well and then found out like she essentially ended up like uh, running a whole US, uh, USAID project after his assassination. So it was a possibility that like – so it's not that she worked with Lumumba. Oh like she was – yeah, yeah, yeah. They, it, was, it was questionable whether they actually like even met at all. Um, but it's interesting how like the project that was handed over to her happened like very short, very briefly wow. after his assassination. Yeah. Wow. I got it. Yeah. Uh, I emoji. I emoji. I emoji. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> uh, uh, hey, Andy, you've been waiting for a while. I just want to give you a chance to speak. Uh, 
I'm from New Orleans, so I was, I was interested in that Fat Tuesday thing. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, so I I I, don't, I just want to preface this by saying, I, like, my when I'm talking about Joe Rogan, like, I'm only just comparing it to the, how terrible the actual news media is. But right. I, I I one thing I wanted to bring up, like, when you guys responded to that last question, is like I often hear that criticism that Joe Rogan is like too credulous and that that he just accepts everything. Um, but like you know. I worked this job for a while, um, and we used to listen to when we we used to listen to NPR all day, like nine hours a day, and it was literally like the most credulous interviews oh, yeah. I've ever heard in my life. Like there even was an interview where they were interviewing this woman about David Petraeus, and it was the stupidest interview you have ever heard. And then that was the woman that was actually like fucking David Petraeus. Oh yeah, out later, right. you know what I mean? And like, and so to me, it's like. All mainstream interviews are credulous. I don't think I don't say this. I don't think they're credulous. I just think they're sneaky. Like I think they just don't give a fuck. Like, like I feel like credulous. You have to actually believe earnestly what's what's coming at you. I think it's and, a combo. Well, I think I guess I mean credulous in that they. T- I actually feel the same way even about Adam Curtis documentaries. Like he will uh, play clips of neocons. And take what they're saying at face value, even when their actions totally show that they don't mean what they're saying. And, and like, I'll, I'll give you like one other example. Um, like, I just on my YouTube, it suggested that I watch this clip from John Stewart's new show, and stupidly, I clicked on it, and he's talking to an economist about inflation, and literally right behind the economist is the name of the think tank, which is the Mercatus Center. Oh, my God! (laughs) Q, you can find it. And I mean, and also it's like, they booked this guy. Like, they had to know who he was. And and Jon Stewart's just talking to him, like, as if he's just, you know, like... Uh, an honest actor. You, you yeah, know, like, like, like he's not a fucking Hayekian ghoul. Yeah. Totally, totally. And so to me, like... But, but Stewart doesn't oh, yeah. know what that reference is. He's not like, oh, he's Iacian. Oh, you know what I mean? I think Stewart uh, does know, because Stewart will never have Bill Black on. He'll never have Michael Hudson on. Like, yeah, I he won't have, like, Steve Keen or... Yeah, sure, or even, like, course. Stephanie Kelton, who's kind of, like, a more pop, like, you know, economist. Who gets... So yeah. I think John Stewart... I mean, actually, like... Like, not to get too conspiratorial about it, but I actually think the reason why people don't like Joe Rogan is he's so dumb that he will let a certain people slip through. Whereas, like, a Jon Stewart, I don't think that Jon Stewart's smart, but he has enough people that are actually running the show and producers and stuff that they would stop, like, an Abby Martin. And I'll give you one other example. But, uh, but, 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 but that's of, why I think it's not pure yeah. credulousness, because that screening process is knowing you know what I mean? Right. Like, uh, yeah, yeah, so, but I'm just saying, like, the inner, like, like, you never see them push, like, I'll give you another example, right? Like, I used to watch tons of Jon Stewart, like, Daily Show back in the day, and, like, one of the, the most kind of combative interviews I ever remember him doing, actually, was with Jeremy Scahill, and when Jeremy Scahill went on to talk about his book about Blackwater, yeah. <laughs> and Jon Stewart really started pushing back on it, and he did the same thing when he had Mustafa Barghouti on to talk about Israel, but then you'll have, like, uh, you know, John McCain, or even right. Andrew Sullivan yes. or somebody. Or who was and the he, one he was famously but... soft to, softball with? Was well, it, he, um, tried to, he tried to be going... Chris Matthews? John, John Yu. Rumps- he, tr- he tried to go... Or- 
or um he had John Yu on and he he tried to go hard at John Yu but John Yu was just too smart yeah like John Yu just kind of dodged and just you know but he tried it with John Yu but like he would have other guys on that he wouldn't even try at all I mean not even to mention like but I think he he apologized even because it's so pathetic that what he did with Rumsfeld or Ashcroft or both of them yeah uh, 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 he he apologized for the John Yu thing for sure but 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 like but like that's why I think it's that prejudice because like you said they don't let certain people even on right it's, inten- but it's then, intentional but yeah yeah but then when you get on if you go off script he pushes back you know so so it's like I think it's a fake prejudiceness like they they screen very hard right I think Joe Rogan and this is to, to serve your point I think Joe Rogan because he's genuinely prejudiced he will actually just let all types of people on he will have a Hard white, hard white, nas- hard white nationalist like Chuck, like Chuck Johnson, but then he'll also have um, Bernie Sanders, and he'll just be there, just just nodding to uh, both of them. But I think it's way more calculated with the uh, John Stewart. Like I think they consciously and actively try to serve neoliberal power in a very deliberate. Hmm. Um, yeah, I think I think the difference is that like the the NPR types and the John Stewart types like cultivate this image of being like a puppy dog. You know, like, uh, like, like the NPR types, especially because they just like cultivate this really sort of twee fucking Portland personality. <laughs> and what they push is like, if you ever listen to Planet Money, it's like it's like reading Freakonomics and smacking your face with a hammer every five minutes. Uh, there is a, I think, a deliberate um, ideological bent to their work that they try to hide behind. Yeah, but this is just how so things are. Tweeness, right? Kind of yeah, yeah. That hides yeah. the insidiousness. It's the technocracy, the myth of technocracy. Yeah, I don't think I don't. I, I think when we're saying that Joe Rogan is credible, it's like credulous. I, 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 sorry, cred, sorry, that's what I meant. Oh boy, uh, it's credulous, <laughs> not credible. Yeah, we're not saying that Joe Rogan is credible. When when we're saying that he's credulous, uh, I think we mean that we could convince him of any opinion. Um, any opinion in the world, uh, if we like sat down with him in an interview thing and he'd be like, oh, wow. Um, you know, whereas, whereas I think the NPR hosts have a very limited range of ideas that they will just sort of entertain without, you know, without question. But those are most of the ideas that are platformed on NPR. Like if they had, if they had like, a set of opinions outside of that range, they would push back on that. And like, as somebody who, well, where it comes know, to, also, where it comes to NPR, it won't even get aired. Yeah. Like, exactly. yeah. like, like, as and if it's to the who, cracks, like, if it's through to the cracks, like the Scahill example, they will try to course correct on the spot. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, I think they're, they're very, they have this sort of sober journalistic mentality. And I think they do do some good journalism. Um, but you know, it's just like they, what they are, trying to do is platform a very narrow ideological range and so of course they're not going to push back on it because it's stuff they agree with you know well they're also selling war not to you know uh no absolutely which is yeah yeah absolutely all right i wanted to uh move on to the next call and thank you for that question by the way that was uh that was uh, was a really good one but uh d I want to get yeah. to your question as well as uh, and make sure that we can get to Ryan as well. Uh, can you hear me? Yep, yeah, can hear you. Yeah, I I guess my thoughts are I think sometimes that even though like I share obviously your your opinion on on Rogan in general, I think sometimes 
even the people who are defending themselves, it's interesting that you almost get a get-out-of-jail-free card if you defend him, even if you're an yeah. elite yourself. So, for example, like some of the elite comedians who are defending them, they've almost positioned themselves like they're working, working people, you know, and I've just noticed that trend, like anyone who goes after mainstream media, even if they're like privileged themselves, it's almost like people forget that (laughs) they're going after one of their own. So like, it's been kind of interesting for me to see that, you know, whatever you think of Rogan, he's, you know, worth millions and everything, but because he has specifically positioned himself as kind of an anti-woke, um, anti-corporate guy, he's able to get away with that. Like, and, and I've seen the same even with like Tucker Carlson, where like he's brought up as if he's like a, a, a yield man and like people like Chris Hayes on MSNBC are like the elite. So I just, that was, that's my kind of view of the I Rogan think, controversy. I think the right has been doing that a while where they go for the trappings of the person, like this person listens to country music and wears a cowboy hat or has a blue collar accent. So ignore yeah. How much money they have, uh, you know, they're they're not an elite. But I've I've noticed that even kind of filtering into the reactionary left. And what I mean by that is there'll be some people trying to do like so called class analysis. But I don't think these people are even real leftists anyway. I think they're just reactionaries who just want uh, free health care. But um, like they'll be talking about someone, and they'll be like PMC, PMC, uh, and they'll talk about teachers like they're not workers. But someone who owns a construction company, um, be, because he dresses in construction boots, they'll act like they're white working class. It's like, okay, that person literally owns the means of production. Like, what? Yeah. Like, no uh, yeah. I find, it, I find it really interesting that, like, one of the biggest uh, criticisms that a lot of these uh, people who I guess we would call themselves like post leftists, but like, a lot of uh, one of the criticisms that a lot of these types had for like progressives and liberals is that they value aesthetics over the material. And yet, and I've gotten a lot of shit for this, but I've tried to explain to people like the trucker convoy is not, you know, like a a bunch of working class people. Like I grew up in a very working class neighborhood. I know people that, that drive trucks. Two of them are related to me. And a lot of them don't support this convoy. The people that you see like occupying Ottawa, I mean, some of them are owner operators and many of them are like owners. So it's because like they see the aesthetic of, you know, like some dude with a flannel shirt and a, like a Peterbilt cap driving a, a fucking Kenworth anteater. Uh, and they, they immediately like fall in love with that aesthetic, but they, they don't engage in any sort of careful examination as to who are these people. Meanwhile, there's like literal dump truck drivers that complain to the Ontario government that when they took labor action to the province and parked their vehicles up in front of Queen's Park, they got the cops called on them and nobody cares about that. Oh, oh yeah. And it works, it works working class. Yeah, and it works in reverse too. Sorry, like someone, uh, not saying someone uh, drinks like um, fancy coffee and has these librarian glasses, but they're like an adjunct professor or a public school teacher, and they'll call that person uh, an elite, you know, or yeah, or, or because it, because they drink a uh, craft beer. Oh, I'm sorry, Noah, you were saying something. Oh, I was just doing a bit, which is uh, now. I'm just a simple working class farmer with a brand new Ford F one fifty. <laughs> that I bought in cash. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I I just wanted to even say, like, last point is even even someone who I really respect, I think made the mistake when I think 
when it was like, I think Matt Taibbi was talking to Russell Brand and they're like, this media looks down on people in red states who are working class and they don't get it. And it's like, well, there's an opposite media that looks down on people in blue states who live in large cities who are working class. So we can't just make the, the assumption of thinking that, you know, talking to a, a person signifies the class. You know, I was also just thinking about, you know, a lot of what we're seeing is just imagery, regardless if you're talking politicians, people in entertainment, whatever. Anybody in the public eye, anybody that's mainstream, it's all about imagery. And one of the things that the, the biggest and best image you can have is the image of some sort of revolutionary under, underdog. And so they present themselves as this revolutionary underdog. Oh, I'm just working class. I'm just a hardworking guy. Meanwhile, this person makes six figures. You know what I mean? Um, as a way to create this image, like, no, I'm a revolutionary that's making change for the underdog, for the little guy. And if you're on my side and have my perspectives and my views, you're also for the underdog. You're also creating revolutionary for the little guy because you're the little guy. And I think, you know, that image is something that's, you know, very powerful for people. That's why everybody does it. Even these, all these privileged people we see on TV pretend like they give a fuck about poor people. You know, that's yeah. all the same uh, shit. Yeah. If I could just say something about aesthetics real quick, and this is completely off track, and forgive me for this, but <laughs> does it occur to you, any of you in, in this uh, this this gallery, how much charity pussy got splashed out on dudes that dressed and tried to look like Bill Hicks in the early two thousands? I remember that shit. No, generally, if you were like a white dude, you looked moody and uh, you smoked half a cigarette before like flicking it and and squashing it underfoot. If you had like kind of longish ratty hair and uh, and and dressed like you just crawled out of a laundry hamper, like you you really had it easy back then. I remember that shit. Yeah, totally. Um, I I actually. On the subject of people uh, appropriating working class aesthetics, uh, uh, historian Patrick Wyman has a really good bit about basically these people being uh, America's landed gentry uh, uh, who are either either own a jet ski or operate a jet ski dealership. <laughs> like these are these are the the American kulaks, um, the the American landed gentry uh, who are just like uh, you know. Uh, obviously, I'm being free with my use of the term kulak there, but like the the you know they're they're the sort of um, very very low level um, uh, gentry of this country, and that's the aesthetic that is imagined to be working class in this country, and not like yeah. teachers, as as we were saying yeah. earlier, or like, not like you know fast food workers. No, educators are considered this. elites. You know, like they talk about like yeah. somehow if you're educated, you're elite. Yeah, that's true. Uh, if your kid, I'll put, I'll put it this way: if your kid, if your sixteen-year-old drives a fucking jeep with KC lights on the top, you're just you're not working class. You're not one of us. <laughs> I've been watching this show called Yellowstone, and uh, it's a big subject in the culture wars because it's like uh, about ranchers and stuff. And all these people online, you know, talk about the show. It's become like the so-called anti-woke show. They phrase it as or whatever. But when I finally watch the show. This dude owns, like, basically a state. Like, literally, he owns, like, half a state's worth of land. He owns, like, the size of a national park is his land. And every season, it's about a different corporation 
um, trying to take his land because he has enough land that he can open casinos, Disney World resorts on. But everyone who talks about the show is if he's the little guy because he dresses like a cowboy. I think it's a perfect. Oh my god! Little, like, so they they made a prestige series out of Clive and Bundy. <laughs> basically. Jesus basically. Lord. The discourse around the show is so funny though because a lot of people talk about it like you know anti woke forget the elites or whatever and and it's a good show but it's just funny the guy is, has more land than like like anybody and and it's uh insane like corporations he he owns more land than the corporations so like Fortune five hundred companies are trying to buy uh his land and they got it from back in the days from the frontiers like they stole it from the um, natives and to their credit they talk about that but it's still funny that this guy is uh this show is the show for the little guy in their minds all right did you want to go ahead yeah yeah sorry i've been in the queue for a minute so i'm like i know a lot of a lot of stuff's been brought up that i was like oh well uh but i was gonna speak to a little bit of like you mentioned uh bill hicks and like this idea and the concept of this idea to go back to like when did comedy become um about this this notion of a truth teller and like obviously everyone looks at Carlin as being sort of like the main one but also like he's like the progenitor of that I would say but like there's all Bill Hicks is also one of those guys and then um you know Dennis Leary sort of he's a fake Bill Hicks he's like a complete hack version a more hacky version of Hicks and then you had uh guys like even Doug Stanhope so like there has been this like sort of like tradition like within the comedy circles of a, like this idea, because remember, like a, another thing that people t- seem to forget about, like stand up, is that it was for a long time it was considered part of the counterculture. You know what I mean? And I feel like today it's not looked at that way whatsoever. Not even by like comics. You know what I'm saying? Because it's like it's be, it's been elevated to be something that is and it, part of it is probably that that idea of it being like a, a, a truth teller. And even, 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 uh, even when I, and it, I'm just going to have like a brief kind of like, I don't know, rant about comedy and comics, right? This idea of like the black comics, like, and like them not being like today we have com- black comics today are represented by guys like, uh, I don't know, like somebody like Gerard Carmichael or like, uh, or a Hannibal Burris, right? These are the guys that people like look at as like a uh, more prominent black comics who really don't speak to a black audience. Like, you know, as, as people mentioned, like, you know, comics like, uh, Gary Owen, who's terrible. He's a hack, obviously. He's not a black comic, but he's a comic that works within the black market, right? In, in that circuit. But there, these comics do exist. Like, Corey Holcomb does exist to this day. He literally has a show that streams on YouTube that, like, if anyone actually paid attention to him, he would be canceled a million times. Oh, he's yeah. Like, sort of, oh, oh, yeah. He's, he's uncancelable. But, like, but those guys still exist, but they operate. He, that's, actually, that's, like, the subtext in the overt text of his entire show. It's like the comics and people that he brings on is like, yo, we are in a different world. We like we speak to a different audience. Like we talk about shit that black people actually care about. So those guys exist, but they're not elevated like these other guys. Again, it's this whole idea of like representation. You know, like there are people that they pick and they elevate to be the sort of mouthpiece. But it's like, okay, like it's a black person, but they are the mouthpiece for, you know, sort of like bourgeois liberal, you know, like so like. It's, it's very interesting. Like I look at I look at Patrice O'Neill as as sort of in that sort of like truth teller space. You know what I'm saying? Like when he was alive, like he did a little he did he did it differently. It was more of an approach, but he still sort of ha- like there has always been a space for that kind of like comic who's like telling it 
telling these truths like it is. It's, it's, it's always been like separate, like from like, like just your average jokey joke comic who's just telling jokes. But like, it, if you really look into the history of comic, there's always been that guy. Like, I mean, I guess to a lesser extent, Lenny Bruce was that guy, but his stance was like, I'm saying the things that people won't allow me to say in public and I'm getting arrested for it and going to court for it. But like, it is, a, it has always been viewed as this sort of like weird sort of like, again, because it was part of the counterculture, right? It used to be looked at that way. So like, like it was in and of itself. And again, it comes, this, all of this shit is related because like people keep saying over and over again, this idea of aesthetics, like America it, specifically, I guess, I guess Canada would count, count this way too. I'm not a Canadian. I mean, too, you could speak to this more than I could, obviously. But like specifically here in the United States, like everyone's politics is aesthetic, like almost, almost like, yeah, there's people who actually have a material analysis about shit. But for the most part, like I know that the, when I was born, like and I was born in the 80s, like I, I know when I was born and coming up as a kid, like talking about class was considered taboo, like for the longest time, like you, everyone was either you were either like everyone was just middle class. It didn't matter. You're either middle class or you're rich. And, like, the idea to talk about that, that was just not a thing that, like, we were taught to do. Because by the time this generation came around, like, all the previous eras who, who literally had, like, a, a class consciousness, like, that shit had came and gone. Like, we had been through, like, you know, Richard Nixon and, and fucking Ronald Reagan. And, like, by the time, like, like the, 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 the millennials, the, the Generation X people, all, all these other generations, now we're into the Zoomers and, like, the class consciousness has been effectively wiped from the consciousness of America. So it's like, now it's like we cling to these, these, these people who are like basically just, I mean, like, but it, it's, it seems like power. Again, it's like, it, it's like the voice of the powerless. Right. And like comics have always been recognized as people who speak for like a, again, this outsider group, these outsiders. So they like, like to like attach valor to that. They like to have their cake and eat it too, which comes back to the, the Whitney Cummins tweet that sort of is then, you know, inspired this whole, you know, conversation today, which is she's literally in that tweet trying to have it both ways, which kind of tracks with like comedy. Like, you know what I mean? She's like on one token, she's saying, hey, guys, like I'm not we're not role models. We're not some sort of like you don't look to us as some sort of moral authority. But at the same time, you know, we're on we're out here on a fucking cross. You know, we're like fucking Joan of Arc being burned at the stake at the same time. So, yeah, we are heroes. You know, and that's just man. Wendy, but Wendy ain't funny, so she ain't far as I'm concerned. You should even be in the fucking conversation. I'm sorry, continue, uh, Ryan. Everybody, please Google. Everybody, please Google. Uh, take a second and Google what her father did. Um, everybody, go look on her Wikipedia and check her personal life section. Just you know, for out of curiosity. I'm sure she's a. I'm sure she's a rich kid, but Vita, you're right. I don't think Whitney comes. Whitney comes as funny whatsoever. Like, you know what I mean? But again, like, it comes back to this idea of, like, who's speaking now? Who gets elevated now? Like, again, I think T mentioned, like, the, the Nanette shit, the, the Hannah, Hannah Gatsby shit. Like, that's not comedy whatsoever. It's it's literally virtue signaling the special. You know what I mean? Like, and, and, and I remember there was a whole backlash for that when it came out amongst comics. Like, they were like, there's no jokes. You know, there's no jokes, you know, and it's like, it's all, the, but because... It, there is like a divide that exists within within like comedy now, and it, like the people that are on the one side, yeah, you have people who are reactionary and they're just trying to be shocked. You know, there's always going to be people like that. They're just going to do shit for shock value, and they want the looks, they want the views, right? But there is an aspect of like these other comics who don't really sort of like agree with this whole notion of us of them being important people. 
You know what I'm saying? Like, we're not important. And, like, it just seems like most people now, because we live in the era, the era of, like, pop activism, right? Like, comics are, are not, you know, of course, comics want attention. You don't become a comic because you are, you're somebody who doesn't want attention. You seek validation. You want to get on stage and receive laughs so, and, so that people can, like, look at you and, and basically, you know, uh, lodge you. So it's like these are insecure people from the jump, right? So it's like, of course, they're going to be attracted to what's popular. And this, and everybody sort of, to a lesser degree, depending upon who you are, is, is falls into these traps of, like, you know, participating in these aesthetic, meaningless gestures that are just superficial, you know, optics that, like, signal to everyone else, you know, that, hey, I'm one of... I'm, I'm, I'm somebody who was operating from like the moral high ground or I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a high minded person. You know, I'm a superior thinker. And it's like, like, again, it's all aesthetic because it's, again, it's, it's a like, brand. It's, just, it's, it's a like, brand. It's their brand. It's how they right. market themselves. It's how they get their TV shows. It's how they get the opportunity to speak places. Absolutely. It's all cynical. It's just fucking cynical. Right. Right. But yeah, I'll stop monopolizing the, the, the conversation. No, no, it's all good. You made some really good points. Although I am, gonna ch- yeah, I'm gonna ch- I'm gonna challenge you on one thing though, which is that uh, I think I think people uh, keep in mind. I'm somebody who just absolutely loved Patrice O'Neill, and I wish he'd have lived to the current day because he, I'm sorry, he would have made some he would have made some incredible fucking specials. But um, he, I think he kind of pandered to what was safe for the uh, the Opie and Anthony crowd. Like he he made a lot of jokes about the kind of people that they also didn't like, and I found that it, it tended to be towards like white liberals and white women, uh, generally. I, I, I mean, granted, he was he was fucking funny, and I thought, I, um, T, I think I've told you about this, where he was on, I think it was Fox News one time, and he was defending another comedian that made some like really raunchy jokes or some shit, and uh, he was on with this like feminist professor or no sorry no she was uh she was with um she was with now uh national organization for women and you know this this lady was go, you know talking about why it's inappropriate and and why like you know uh, making those kinds of jokes on air is detrimental to like the mental health of young women and so on she's actually making really good points and then patrice just cuts in and does a bit starts talking about all these like fucking raunchy sex positions and shit and just like he was cutting up so bad that even the lady who was there to make a serious case for why that kind of language shouldn't be permissible on air, he actually made her laugh. Like she completely broke kayfabe and she, she started laughing too. But I found that that's that's the audience he kind of went after. And I don't think he like the kinds of guys that he hung around. I don't know that he ever really challenged them. I don't think he was like playing it up for a white audience. But I I think he picked his targets very carefully. Yeah. Yeah, I'm actually curious how he would have handled um, the turn that Anthony Camillo had had done for sure. Um, I will too, just to give you a chance to speak. Hey, are you there, Hero? Oh yeah, 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 okay, I'm cool. here. Yeah, um, yeah. I just, I, I just want to say what's up to Vita. <laughs> big, big fan. Um, and uh, also, uh, just going back to the class thing. Um, I think uh, was, who, who was that guy's name? Mike Rowe. You guys remember that guy who was big for a while? Um, I, th- I think he kind of, he, even though he wasn't a comedian, uh, I think he kind of sums up. Um, it's kind of going back to like the John Stewart uh, talk, but I think yeah, he also 
was in that kind of environment of, you know, not being um, working class, but kind of where, like be, being like a voice for the working class person um, with his uh, his, his um, show Dirty Jobs. And I think a lot of a lot of people, I think like that that show and that kind of um, like way of thinking has kind of led to where we are now um, with like this kind of very optic focused, like, like dirty jobs equals working class, even though a lot of those jobs, you know, are um, quite well, well, well paid. And they try to like demonize um, go, going to school for, you know, um, you know, liberal arts or whatever you want to call it. They like saying useless degrees and stuff, um, even though a lot of those jobs are needed. Uh, you know, for society to function just as much as you as uh, as a quote unquote dir- dirty jobs, and what we see today is a lot of the people that are working these quote unquote white collar jobs. They're actually you know are working class jobs. So it's interesting how the how the optics change, um, yeah, through the media. Yeah, I appreciate that comment. Thank you. And uh, yeah, I appreciate I think- it too. Oh, that's okay. Uh, a couple of things. One, I kind of feel like we're uh, we're crowding out, Katie. Um, just want to make sure oh, that. Uh, yeah. I'm I also want to make sure that you're still on. okay. All right, all right, all right. Yeah, I didn't want to. I didn't want to feel like we're monopolizing the conversation, not giving you a chance no, to speak. No, no, I'm, I'm definitely. All right. Um, and uh, T, did we want to um, uh, take I and Mateo, and then we can uh, we can call it a night? Yeah, you actually read my mind. I would say the same thing that these would be the last callers and. And let me put I up there. Hold on. And yeah. Are, are you, don't don't tell me you're washing dishes right now, bro. Me? No, someone else is though. Okay. Well, uh, you can go. Okay. Ah, uh, you can uh, uh, unmute by pressing. The, there you go. Button in the bottom right hand corner. Yo, y'all can hear me. Yep. All right. Cool. Hey, um, <clears throat> I just want to make a couple quick points, like. Um, uh, like for a consumer, like for myself, I'm not like a creator. Uh, from the perspective of someone who consumes like you no know, uh, comedy and like or different types of media for a long time, uh, I feel like a lot of times for me personally, um, there is like people have referred to like that thing, whole thing of clapter as as it relates to like you no know, versus laughter. But like sometimes you want to hear something that kind of like reinforces or like kind of like you know, you're waiting to hear something that someone says, someone says something that you agree with. Like if you were on stage imagining yourself having like the microphone in front of a crowd and you'll sit and they're like, yeah, yeah, that's what I would say. No, I agree. And I'm clapping. It's not hilarious, but I mean, you agree with it. Right. And I feel like a lot of times uh, some of these people kind of get gassed up by that. Um, and then they think of themselves as modern day philosophers because of it, because a bunch of uninformed people who don't really like, you know, know that much, uh, agree with it. Um, and I feel like, again, like what I mean to say is like, you know, I feel like that happens a lot. And again, I'm speaking from the point of view is like someone who mostly consumes that's not a creator. I feel like that gases them. That's my first point. I also like to expand on that point real quick though. Um, I feel like, you know, um, there is also something that, as a t- tangentially related, uh, someone mentioned like Whitney uh, Cummings and stuff, and her like coming from like 
you know, kind of a privileged background. I also found it interesting. She used to have an NBC show uh, with uh, Chris D'Elia, who also came from like a super privileged background. I think like his like uh, family or his parents were like, you know, television producers and stuff. So like, I know there's a lot of like, you know, um, uh, like nepotism and stuff that kind of, you know, positively impacts people's careers. Um, that was my first point, uh, uh, this tangential point, part of my first point. Second point I wanted to make real quick, because I know you guys are wrapping up, because uh, someone talked about Black people being able or like, counseling and stuff like that. Black people don't have the power to counsel anybody. I wish Black people did have the power to counsel somebody. I wish Black people would try to counsel more people. Black people don't do enough counseling, in my opinion. There's no, like, you know, Black People Defense League or anything like that. There's no, like, mobilization. There's just, like, a bunch of, like, noise on social media that Black people would just, like, you know, complain to each other about things, but doesn't really impact me. No, they Those don't. I, you're on the right track, but they don't complain to each other. They, they do something that I find a lot more reprehensible and kind of like childish. They run to white people to cancel people for mm-hmm. them. Okay, yeah. And I, exactly. And we don't cancel them in our own spaces sometimes. But the funny thing is, some people that they want to cancel don't be in our spaces anyway, like Joe Rogan. I don't listen to that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and, and um, uh, sorry, there was one point I wanted to make and it completely like slipped out of my head, but it'll come back in a second. But yeah, I just, I find that, um, a lot of people, uh, point to like woke culture as cancel culture. And I, I don't know if that's necessarily true. What you find is like a lot of like black liberal striver types will run to white people to cancel a white person that said something mean, or they'll run to white people to cancel another. Yeah. That's exactly it. Another, but another point that you made um, to our caller. Uh, oh, they're already gone. I, of, I forgot their name. I'm sorry. Um, oh, I. Um, another point that uh, that was made, I thought was really important, which was the setup. So remember when he was saying that the joke, they don't really have, it's not funny, but it's I, the audience agrees with it. What I find to be interesting about that is that type of humor to me is not, long lasting because <clears throat> you have to be able to be a good comedian whether i agree with you or not you know there have been jokes where it was like oh my god that's fucked up oh you know what sorry you just no, you just reminded me of uh what i was gonna say which was that like and i'll put this one to the the rest of the panel too have you found that like comedy has become more of a stepping stone especially like stand-up comedy is like people don't do stand-up comedy for the purpose of being funny or being a good stand-up comedian they do stand-up comedy as a stepping stone to maybe get like a TV special or to get like a, a hosting gig, uh, get it, you know, get like cast yeah. in a movie, that kind of thing. It's actually, um, like I was saying, that's how people got get noticed, but it's also what a lot of actors are told to do to like brush up on their improv skills and acting skills and all that. Cause I know people who did that specifically to become like, you know, uh, a writer in the industry or even an actor. Like it's always a stepping stone to do something else. Absolutely. I mean, I, I literally am a person who at one point was doing stand-up comedy uh, for, for writing purposes. And the thing is, stand-up comedy doesn't pay jack shit, which is the <laughs> real problem. Like it used to be that you could make a living as a touring comic. And it used to be that you could make a living, you know, performing. And now, you know, there's you really it's a lot harder to make money you can still be a touring comic but you earn a lot less money and you can still you know you can do college shows which actually pay a decent amount of money but even then you know the 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 amount of budgets that colleges have for that sort of shit 
uh, it just keeps going down. And they also <laughs> want to hire why big you, names. Why do you think it goes down? Like, is it like a chicken and the egg thing? Like, people are flooding comedy, so the prices go down, or the prices go down, so people don't want to stay in comedy? Like, like, like which do you no, think it's just the, came first? It's the cost of living. It's, I mean, it's just cost it's, of the, it's expensive, because, like, to do to be noticed as a comic, you, like I said, you have to live in, like, one of the three big cities that you can do comedy shit in, and it's expensive to live here. I, I have a actually pretty low rent for LA, and especially for where I live, which I'm not going to say on the internet. Um, but I pay I pay like eleven fifty in rent, and that's still like very high, um, especially compared to the rest of the country. And it's still, you know, I I haven't worked a job that lets me be comfortable uh, living wise. So how am I, you know, how am I going to then be able to drop that and then work as a stand-up comedian? It's, you know, you can't do it. So, mm. it and, and, you know, here's the thing. Being a TV writer, it's really hard to get into being a TV writer. It's very difficult. And it's very difficult, especially if you don't have the an existing connection or you don't have the kind of wealth that would allow you to go up through the mailroom at CAA or WME or you don't have this sort of you know, the, the ability to work at one of those places, or if you want to go work in the mailroom at an agency and you are not a white man, you know, uh, it, it, all of those things are barriers. Um, I also think and, doing stand-up you know, comedy to get into comedy writing is a different thing. I think that used to be a normal thing, but I think some people get into stand-up comedy now to like not even do anything in comedy at all. There's just a way to become famous, which I think is different. Like, you know, yeah, but it's also like you also like don't make that much money off of like specials and stuff. Like the thing about the thing about TV writing is it's very hard to get into by any means, but like stand-up comedy is a means that it is marginally more possible to get noticed for certain people than it is like if you do it the way of like crawling up the assistant ladder. And it also like TV is increasingly paying less well, but it still pays well enough that you could like live off of it in LA, you know? Um, so, and it is something that like, if you have a talent for writing, that's like a good career option for you because there just aren't that many things left that you can do if what you are good at is writing. You I know? have a question because I feel like there was a time and I would be watching a standup, not even a big standup and, or I'll be at a comedy show and there'll be a comedian there who says, by the way, I write for this show, or I used to write for this show. And was it because they were comedians first who became writers, or were they writers who became comedians? Because I feel like I'd never seen them or heard of them before. Um, uh, yeah. That's that's like mildly outside my wheelhouse, but I believe it could be either. I mean, usually it's more stand-ups who got into writing and then like do, you know, go out to clubs to practice material. Um, but you know, it's it it depends because for a long time the ways that you became a TV writer were like you went to an elite writing program or you did you know you did stand up and that's how you it, it's specifically in the realm of comedy like uh, if I remember correctly like the Simpsons writers room was like half Harvard guys and then half like stand ups you know so it but it's like now it's really changed in that you know. Not only is it hard for you to get a writing job if you don't have parents who are in the industry or if you don't live in L.A. or if you don't have the money to do like a, you know, an assistant job or whatnot or don't luck out into finding a situation where you can work an assistant job and also live. Um, but, you know, it's also it's a really terrible industry to work in a lot of the time um, because people 
do treat their underlings like shit. And this is something that like I run into a lot in Hollywood labor. Um, but like you, they're not going to treat, you know, the child of a high class venture capitalist like shit, like Malia Obama is going to be fine at the Weinstein company, you know? So there's, there's, there's some of that. There's the class dynamic, the class element here that makes it so that it's easier for people to, there's certain people to become TV writers. And so the stand up route is sort of a leveling, a leveling capacity in that way because it shows you people who are funny, if that makes sense. Sorry if that's a little rambly. Um, but I can I can transition out of that one. You guys ready? Yeah, um, go ahead. You know, I think I think uh, I think you know before I talk about the broader point, I think uh, I think a lot of what makes showbiz extra challenging right now is that. Um, Kind of the binge TV Netflixy world has sucked out a lot oh, yeah. of energy, and uh, and games have kind of sucked out a lot of energy that was, you know, there was a world like twenty years ago where if you were a big shot at the comedy store, you could like rock the house, you know, on the strip at like a live set. People would notice you and they try to give you opportunities and like uh, mostly network sitcomy Chuck Lore type shows, right? Like there was a farm system that you would graduate to. But that world doesn't really exist as much anymore 20 years later. And in the 10 years since, you know, there was kind of Netflix throwing money at everything like seven or eight years ago in L.A. And that era was a lot of fun if you cashed in on it. But it kind of came and went. So but, you know, the establishment is a little different. What I would say in terms of uh, the whole theme for the evening is I think uh, two personalities that especially Americans would be really good to know in history are Lenny Bruce and uh Father Coughlin from the 30s in terms of like what their uh, their bag was all about and to really consider uh, especially with Lenny Bruce the tradition he came out of and like was Lenny Bruce and Lenny Bruce's whole like uh, point of view ultimately kind of reactionary did it ultimately kind of feed like a reactionary mindset and come out of a reactionary mindset I think it kind of did he's always seen as a revolutionary in art and a revolutionary why do you think that um just because he ultimately Ultimately, Lenny Bruce's art form kind of like came out of like the Catskills in terms of where it ultimately came from as a shtick. And it kind of ultimately became that as like a formalized entertainment product when stand up was an industry like 15 years after Lenny was like dead in the ground, right? Um, and I kind of feel like his. I mean, he was Jewish, but. Yeah, absolutely. Was, like, and I, but I'm, say, I'm saying but that he like. Wasn't, like it's, he was it's the like, same way, the same way that. The same way that rock and roll became an industry. You could say the same thing about revolutionary artists like Lennon and Hendrix. You know, they were anti-establishment, but by like the late 70s, it was just another industry, right? I don't think that makes him reactionary. Yeah. As an ultimate I mean, that makes him force. before his uh, time. You could say he's before his time, but that's not reactionary. Anyways, think about that and think also about like okay. Father Coughlin. No, if Father Coughlin was doing his message right now, He'd be square in the middle of guys like Jack Posobiec and Cernovich and, and dirtbags like that. He's selling the exact same Christian nationalist uh, product. And, uh, you know, people love Father Coughlin. He was a big hit speaker. Back oh. Um. Sorry, I was trying to move Vita into the speaker, back into the speaker box, and I accidentally kicked. Um. Mateo. Uh, so Mateo. Nah, he was disrespectful to Katie. I, I peeped that, but. Oh, but anyways, right? I, I also 
It's pretty, yeah. Uh, I, I, like, I like when men are super condescending while speaking out of their asses. Yeah, I, I thought that was yeah. hard. Like, just choose a lane. Be like informed. I'm sorry. I don't usually do this. Like, I just, and I'm sorry. I shouldn't do that here. I shouldn't do that because I'm a guest on the show. It's on my show. <laughs> <laughs> Katie, Katie, if I, Katie, uh, when I was uh, co-hosting a show with with Glenn earlier today. Um, I kind of teed off on somebody and told her she didn't know what the fuck she was talking about. Yeah. <laughs> so it's okay. Like it happens. Yeah, but, but I didn't uh, up on, I didn't do anything to get him off. No, 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 no. Yeah. No, but um, I was trying to understand what you were saying because he kept talking over you, so I didn't really hear what point you were making, Katie. I'm sorry. Yeah, well, I, yeah, I actually did want to hear what. Uh, oh what well, just that Lenny, that Lenny Bruce who died, you know, uh, extremely poor, like persecuted, prosecuted, um, went crazy, basically. Um, I actually interviewed his lawyer recently, who also represents um, Stephen Donziger, who's the really brave human rights lawyer who represented indigenous people poisoned by Chevron in the Amazon. Yeah. And basically mm-hmm. was like maliciously prosecuted. Like, Oh, yeah. Yeah. He's, I- that's like another. I mean, that's a, it's such an it's so obscene what happened with him. But um no, just that you can be ahead of your time, but that doesn't make you reactionary. And his, and I think his he was subversive. Like he came out of you know he reject he wasn't just another like Borscht Belt comedian. He kind of used that, but even I mean his form was very different from that. But to the extent that he ever leaned leaned into that, it was for very subversive um, purposes. What does subversive mean? I'm I'm trying to really understand what you're saying. Subversive subversive literally means like going under, right? I think. But uh, what does it mean? Like in your uh, what does it mean? uh, Going against like accepted norms and standards. Yeah. Oh, okay. I got you. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, like, if uh, I don't know, like, like, like seemingly, almost like you were. You use a certain form, um, but you're a rebel almost. Yeah, you're a rebel. Yeah, it's like a sneaky rebellion almost. Although he was so, yeah, a sneaky rebellion. Yeah, yeah. no, that's a that's a really great point, Katie. And also, like, he was kind of against the very reactionary restrictions on what you were allowed to say oh, on, yeah. in media. So, like, it seems yeah. weird to call him reactionary. I also want to push back on the thing about. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Katie. Oh no, yeah, he sorry. was a total. I mean, he was a major free speech advocate, and he would he challenged it uh, in his stand up. He was, you know, he was arrested and for for his stand up, and then he was he wouldn't listen to the judge in the courtroom. So, yeah, tragic. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, there's actually a podcast about him I listened to not too long ago. It's like a whole little docu series. Oh, really? I should listen to it. Yeah, I should find it. I'll tell you what it is once I know what it is. Great. I I also want to push back on the whole thing about like. The problem with the industry is that there isn't any like creative energy in it, um, because I find that to be a very facile reading of what's currently happening with the film and television industry as somebody who like works in production. The problem with the industry is that there are increasingly fewer companies and there is an increasing accumulation of capital. So it's easier to mistreat workers. It's easier to pay people less for the same product. And there's this emphasis on sort of accumulating new subscribers and an emphasis on growth among like the streamers, especially even the ones that are owned by like Disney and whatnot, 
that means that you run into a situation where you have all of these new shows, many of which are actually quite good, that are canceled after the second season because it doesn't really matter whether or not you have like a fan base for a TV show or whether you have viewers on a TV show. What they want is they want new content that they can put in front of people and be like, this is new. It's like the other thing that you watch. So that's why you get like all of these shows that um, I'm not going to critique because I want a job eventually. <laughs> uh, but like, you know, it's like you, you get a bunch of new shows that are very similar to existing ones, but are, you know, entirely new, uh, entirely new concepts because you're, you're trying to sort of create this entertainment product. And I don't think the problem is, oh, there are no creative people in Hollywood, you know? Well, I'm always, this is the other thing too, and this is from my experience working in media and, and entertainment out here. <clears throat> it's not even about talent for a lot of these companies. Like it's not that the talent isn't there. This actually, right. I would say we have an abundance of talent, but who gets picked and why, right? Absolutely. Who gets the opportunities and why, who, who gets elevated and why? And usually in, 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 from my observation and, and also partly, I guess my assumption is that, a lot of it is based off of who fulfills the agenda that we have in place. Absolutely. And, and if it's about putting out, well, we want to, you know, we want to get the white female audience between, you know, 25 and 40. So we're going to get this white quote unquote feminist comedian to talk about, you know, you know, she's not fucking funny and mm -hmm. that, but she fits the agenda. She talks about what it's just about being fat, even though she's literally like a size eight, you know? Um, right. You know, like... Oh, no, I mean, actually... Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I'm just saying, so it's like, who... The, the question is is always, like, it's not that there isn't talent. It's like, there are people who are... Who's, who's fulfilling the agenda that we have? Who's going to comply and not push back too much? Who's willing to pay, take the pay that we're paying? And who and who will literally suck our dick? That's yeah, well, and it. also, like, like, as... Look, I, like, in a previous job, not my current job, this hasn't happened at my current job, thank Christ, but, like... In a previous job, I was on a phone call with, like, the producer who was my boss and a bunch of agents and basically, like, listening to them pitch the reboot of a movie that, like, people didn't really care about in the 80s. But because everything has to be attached to an intellectual property now so that it has some, quote, unquote, inherent value or whatever. Um, but she was just on the she was just on the phone being, like, talking about this movie and then being, like, also, we would be open to casting a diverse actor. And I was, like... Okay, well, first of all, what the fuck do you mean you would be open to casting a diverse actor? First of all, what the fuck is a diverse actor? Okay. What the fuck is a diverse actor? Right. And, and my, my roommate said something really good about this that, uh, that I think sums it up. And she's like, I am not a diverse person. Okay. <laughs> People are not individually diverse. Right. You know, and that's, 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 that's the thing. They're not doing it out of any sort of, and to sort of, to bring this back to the Joe Rogan thing, they're not doing it out of any sort of, uh, you know, any sort of actual commitment to like diversity, equity, or inclusion. They're doing it because they think it's going to, you know, be a, because A, they want to believe that they're moral, the Hollywood liberals, and B, they think that it's going to be like financially, it's going to be a financial product that will be successful. And that's the same thing that like Spotify is doing with the Joe Rogan shows, that they've made the calculation that it's, you know, that it's more, it's, it's more profitable to have Joe Rogan and platform. And, um, but it's, you know, to expect them to act morally is kind of missing the whole point. So. Um, yeah, so I don't know if you broke up for everyone or just for me, but there's a chunk of that. that oh. 
I'm sorry, where did, where did I leave off? Where, well, was, first off, was, was it just me? No, I, I think heard. it was. I, I heard him just fine. Okay, so so forget it. It was just it was just me then. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, all, hey, all right. So, a Latino, young 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 Latino person. Yeah. What's that? This is really. I said you were silencing a young Latino. <laughs> <laughs> I'm also oh, no. neurodivergent and queer. He was finished speaking, so I didn't silence him. The phone silenced him yeah, for me. You were yeah, yeah. not <laughs> You wouldn't recognize them or something. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, no, you're you're you're, you're erasing you're erasing Latinx voices to you. Thank you. Was erasing the Latinx voice to me, so I was a victim here as well. I was being kept from so hearing the, these words. The um, podcast, Katie, I sent you the link um, on a Apple podcast, but it's American Scandal, Lenny Bruce, the episode about Lenny Bruce. Oh, great! Everybody wants to check it out. This podcast is called American Scandal. Not American Sandal. American Scandal. American <laughs> Sandal. I would listen to that. <laughs> Sounds like a, like a movie that they would literally put out right now with, yeah. with fucking Adam Sandler, right? Um, yes! Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> Tell me more. Tell me more. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, if you guys want. And, but I will say one thing about that podcast. It, tell, it tells it like it's a story, um, It's but it's based off of the facts. Um, yeah. And the other thing, though, about that podcast, I think I didn't care for is I don't think it really got deep into um, how he got out, how he got off. Like, it was kind of um, grazed over it a, a bit. Cause I like the details. Like, I want to know how this motherfucker got out of this, you know? Uh, I don't think they really did enough of that. But if you just want kind of like an overview of who Lenny Bruce was and what he uh, what happened to him and all that stuff, it's a it's a good podcast. Okay. All of them. Awesome. Okay, so we're just gonna oh, wait, Katie. You're gonna say something, and after you finish, we'll we'll wrap it up. Oh no no! Uh, what, what, were you asking? I actually right after I made the joke about you silencing someone, I lost connection for a second, and then I regained connection and heard um, Vita talk about uh, this uh, the podcast. Were you asking okay. a question to all of us or? Oh no! I was about to sign yeah. off, but I thought you were jumping yeah. in to say one last point, so I was going to give you a oh, no. chance to say it before. Okay, so in that case, thanks everybody for joining us. Make sure to follow all the speakers on the stage and anything they're working on. If anyone has any last-minute things they want to plug, this is the chance to do oh, it. And follow Brad- me, please. Starting because I have my own call-in show, which you got to come on. Everyone on here should come on. As I invite you all, but yeah, we I do it Sunday nights on Tuesday nights. Yeah, happy to come on whenever. And uh, same would love to. Yeah, same uh, goes in your direction, Katie. Um, uh, anytime that you want to drop by the Unredacted podcast, feel free to, to come on through. Awesome. Can't believe I All got right. through that whole thing without mentioning that a bunch of TV writers are Cuban exiles. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's a whole that's a whole different show yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm, I'm curious about that too but i don't want to open up a whole other can of worms yeah 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 we, we we've all got a we've all got a got things to do in the morning i can't yeah. believe you said worms. you said what I, worms oh yeah the goose oh, yeah. on x community yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I made that joke oh. in a DSA meeting once, and then it just spread to three other chapters. So, oh, I'm Jesus Christ. <laughs> All right, thanks, everyone, and take care. Thanks, right, everyone. Good night. Thanks, everybody.